0: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast, where good taste and bad taste is just good taste. Just this, just good taste this
1: Yep, this we're not worried about a bad taste at all. We're talking about truly great movies because, um, well, by the way, my name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too,
0: am a film critic. And uh, it's time, it, it's that time. Yeah. The the best and most frustrating part of the year for a film critic. Yeah. <laughs> uh i i I've said this uh, I say this every year um coming up with your your best films of the year list is the greatest pleasure that a uh, a film critic can have ranking them as the worst pain
1: <laughs> or even just narrowing them down Since, yeah, yeah, yeah uh twenty twenty one was a rough year in most capacities. I'm sure we can all agree on this uh however, if you've been keeping up with cinema, it's actually been a strikingly good year for film. There have been some turkeys here and there. But it was a, a, just a nonstop deluge of interesting indies and some of the more ambitious blockbuster films as well, whether or not they worked mm-hmm. out. Um, the I mean, narrowing our lists down to say the top ten uh, best films. Of 2021 was such a fool's errand that we decided to forego it this time And it's always going to get cut off at an arbitrary number We each could have done a top 30 and had plenty left over Mm -hmm. uh, Just because it's been such a good year Uh, We decided that just for the hell of it we're going to cut ourselves a little bit of slack And we're going to do our top 13s this just year Just
0: to Because our both of our short lists Were quite long Yeah So we're, we give ourselves a, a few extra slots Also that freedom. just means More podcast for you Dear listeners mm-hmm. uh, And more recommendations For films you might not have seen uh, The way we do f- uh, Lists are a little different Yeah We don't count down We, we save our best for, a little, for the last Yeah we, we need to same th- save th- our number one For the last We're gonna we have a have strong a position of, uh, We can say this is our favorite
1: This is what we think is the best Also to build up a little tension But uh yeah.
0: For the most part, uh, 2 through, like in this case, 13, are all tied for second, as far as we're, we're concerned.
1: We want you to see all of these films. We don't want you to see the film we talk about second to last more than the film we talked about 10th. Mm. We don't care about that. That's not the point. We want you to see all of these films. It's just, you know, for the sake of posterity, if anyone asks, hey, what was your favorite film of 2021? We each have a pick. Mm. Um I don't know how close this these lists are going to be. Whitney and I sometimes have very similar taste. Sometimes we have very different taste. Sometimes we will both praise a film equally, and it'll only end up on one list.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, so I honestly have no idea what he has in his list. He has no idea what I have in mine. I predict a fee- a little overlap, but um, I don't know. Whitney could totally surprise me here and just suddenly whip out recommendations of stuff that I thought he hated. <laughs> Well, um, how about we start the conversation with maybe the more predictable ones? That's an interesting if, for, for, choice. I usually they're... go with
0: I usually go with one of my weirder picks. Okay, but why don't you? But you you set us a well, light. You know, I also, I'll I'll set us up with one which is arguable,
1: where ah. it might
0: not be uh, acceptable. And if it is, I I can pivot to something different. I I will be uh, the
1: arbiter of whether or not yeah. this counts because this film
0: was technically made in 1975. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it's it, on well, my list too. Okay, <laughs> you're saying uh, I'm, ta- I'm talking about George
0: A. Romero's fil- uh, short film, "The Amusement Park." Um, a short film. It's 54 minutes. That's feature length. Yes, it is. Um, it's a and, short
1: feature, but it is a feature length film.
0: And uh, it was uh, commissioned by George A. Romero back in the 70s, and it never really got a proper release until Shutter released it earlier
1: this year. So rather was commissioned from George A. Romero. From, he was hired to make this excuse movie me, from,
0: from George Romero.
1: And yeah. and then uh, they, the the people who asked George A. Romero mm-hmm. to make this film, The Amusement Park, took one look at the film and said, what you have made is so terrifying we do not want to release it. And they didn't. <laughs> Even though it was supposed to be a scare film. The Amusement Park uh, is a low-budget independent film uh, that is about the horrors of elderly care, or lack thereof, uh, mm-hmm. in America, many of which are still sadly incredibly valid topics of conversation today. Uh, it is a story of an old man uh, who... At the beginning of the film, he walks into a room where there's another old man who looks suspiciously like him, mm. and he looks horrible. He looks like he's just he's been had the beaten. worst
0: Possible days bleeding. He, yeah, he,
1: he might be dying, and the guy just says, "Don't go out there." And the old man who's looking, he's very optimistic and very hopeful, and he just says, "No, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to have a grand old time. I'm going to go to the amusement park." And he goes to the amusement park, and everything at the amusement park is designed. To torture him while it satisfies, amuses, and entertains everyone who is an elderly.
3: Mm. Uh,
1: Everything is designed to exploit him. Everything is designed to hurt him. And nothing is designed to help him.
0: Nothing, yeah, nothing gives him uh, comfort and everything is designed to uh, stress what a burden he is on the lives of other people. Yeah, and there's even a, a little aside where we get to see uh, people growing old as just sort of There's in, a, bit, a home. There's a bit where um, people,
1: like, it's an amusement park, and some people go to a fortune teller, hmm. and they ask, like, how are we going to end up? And it's basically all of a sudden for, like, a five, I forget how long it is, like five, seven minutes of this movie... It just turns into a different Michael Haneke movie Where it's all about <laughs> how they're going to grow old And miserable and life will destroy them And no matter how in love and young you are now and They're still, yeah. Yeah, still and it,
0: struggling and they're still just. And it unhappy.
1: basically ruins their lives They were going to be married and be happy for who knows How many years but because they're going to end up Old in a system that doesn't care For them they don't want to bother Doing anything anymore Um George A. Romero didn't fuck around Oh, golly, no. Even in his worst films, uh, he tended to be uh, very direct, and he tended to have really big ideas on his mind. Uh, And The Amusement Park, which was, again, made in the 1970s, but it didn't come out until this last year, so I'm okay with including it as well. Uh, it's, Uh, It's one of those things where it actually
0: did play one festival. If you count that as a release, then we're then we're cheating. I don't. I don't
1: count festivals as a release. It needs to be available for people to see it. It was
0: made available in twenty twenty one. Yeah, exactly. Twenty twenty one film. If there
1: was one screening, and you had to only be in like this one country or this one festival, or if you're like, oh, it was a, a premiere for the people who made the film. Uh, that doesn't count. People okay. need to be able to see the damn thing. So this is a 2021 film that happens to be made in the 1970s. It's got that low-budget 1970s and premature. Well, if you're familiar with, for example, the aesthetic of um, uh, Carnival of Souls, it's got that kind well, of a... Uh, Carnival of uh,
0: Souls was shot on 35mm film and well, had a
1: lot of wide
0: shots. Um, it, okay, it's, maybe not it's cinematographically, little... I'm just talking
1: about in terms of... Um, Sort of, know, the headspace it takes up, I guess. Oh, there you, you know, go. Like, like, uh,
0: th- this was shot on 16, so it does have this kind of amateurish feel, which uh, in many cases can really enhance a horror movie. I mean, if you're watching yeah. some some piece of crap like Zat about the guy who turns himself into a fish. Yes, yeah. This is also released as The Bloodwaters of Dr. Z. Do you remember that one? Vaguely. Yeah, it's it's pretty spectacular. Um, that one looks like crap because it was shot on crap film. Yeah, uh, George Romero was shooting on sixteen millimeter, but uh, that it gives it this sort of gritty, ultra real quality. Well, it, lo- it looks it all the more uh,
1: all the more terrifying. It looks like you're watching home. Like uh, there's um, there's a lot of like YouTube series, many of them quite good, that are about the history of amusement parks and amusement park attractions, and talking mm-hmm. about stuff like defunct land or uh, yesterworld or expedition theme park. Um, and one of the things that a lot of those uh, YouTube series do is they actually use a lot of old footage from theme parks, many of which are from promotional films, some of which are from home movies that mm-hmm. people put online. Here's our home movies from Disneyland in the 70s, and you can see what it was like. Yeah, There's something about that you-are-there aesthetic of an old theme park that is completely innocuous, and yet... When George a. Romero just all of a sudden behind... Like, you're just watching this guy. He's on a ride. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. Everything doesn't seem right. And then when we finally cut back to him on the ride for a flash of a second... Like, the grim specter of death is behind him. Like, yeah, and, yeah. writing it as well. <laughs> and, just, and just... You're not ready for it. Uh-huh. Because you've been lulled into this sense of security of... To, like, what kind of visual ambition we're, re- we're ready for here. Um, my point is this. George A. Romero has a purpose here. He's trying to not just make you aware of a social issue, and he is. uh, He's trying to scare you into doing something about it. And we've seen a lot of scare films, many of which are rather embarrassing today because either they're overblowing the issue or they have no sense of nuance whatsoever and they're kind of laughable. Uh, Something like Reefer Madness uh, plays like that. Um, This is, he's so sympathetic to the plight of the people Uh, that he's trying to support here. And he's so aware and unafraid of giving it to you straight, here is what this is like at its worst, Mm -hmm. which is way too often, uh, that it feels like a horror movie, but it also feels a little too real. And it's one of the scariest experiences I've had watching a movie in a long time.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and what I appreciate about The Amusement Park is it is this scare film about elder care and growing old. And a lot of it is... uh, Taps directly into fears of death, fears of dying, fears of growing old. But it is never once condescending. No. It never makes uh, old people the butt of a joke. Uh, there's, you know, slapstick humor, like, disturbing, dark slapstick humor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not
1: entirely without wit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but the wit but is the, always the, mean.
0: It, it's, it's definitely mean, and the old people are never the butt of the joke. And when they are, it's told in such a way where... It's, they're Other the, people they're are the but, They're the, but joke. the butt of the joke uh, in real life as well. Yeah,
1: they're, they're being bullied yeah, by people yeah. who do not care about them. Mm. Yeah,
0: And uh, the, one of the most tragic uh, scenes I've seen all year actually comes from the amusement park when he's gone on all these, this main character, this old man, has gone on all these rides. He's sort of come to terms with sort of the fact that he's sort of old now. He doesn't really serve a, a really important part in the family unit anymore. And this mm. is illustrated by him trying to sit on a picnic blanket. With a uh, young family, not his family, just yeah. a family. Just being social. Just, yeah, being social, and he's trying to read a story. And while he's reading the story, uh, the mom and the parents are just sort of, like, taking all the, the picnic blanket away from him and, like, just trying to, to yeah. pull They're the Pretending away. he doesn't
1: exist. Yeah,
0: yeah. They're yeah. just sort of trying to exit the scene without even acknowledging him, and that that was pretty heart-wrenching.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really beautifully sad motion picture. Mm-hmm. I can see... Why people who were maybe trying to make something a bit more positive, like you know, like hey, we're trying to raise awareness of something. We're like you, maybe you tipped too far into the realm of the horror uh, for our tastes. Uh, but it's a damn shame it didn't get numb. It didn't get released until now. I'm glad it's finally out there. Please mm-hmm. see it. It's currently available on Shutter. Um, it's fantastic picture, and yes, it made my list as well. Okay, well, um, I'm glad. Uh, my next pick. I, I got a couple. Well, let's let's start with the eh, kind of okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start with another film that I don't know if it's made your list or not, but it's a film that uh, was made during the pandemic, uh, and it spoke to this bizarre sense of isolation that we all had during the most intense moments of quarantine, while we were simultaneously connected to everything in the universe through mm. through social media, uh, and that is Bo Burnham Inside. It's not on my list. Okay. Okay. Uh,
0: it may as well be. Uh, I I did love inside. I think uh, White Woman's Instagram is one of the better songs <laughs> of the
1: year. It's it's uh, a it's a wall to wall musical. Practically, there's not a lot of stand up in it. Yeah. A lot of people consider this a stand up special. This is an experimental narrative feature starring mm. one guy. Uh, yeah. I appreciate that it kind of it operates was sold. in both capacities. It was
0: sold as a stand up special, yeah. Um, and there's some sp- stand up bits, but they're very self aware. Like he'll mm-hmm. have like a laugh track. Um, yeah. Bo Burham's attitude toward his own generation is incredibly bitter. Uh, yeah. He does not like the way uh, people his age have come to communicate. And uh, how that is just sort of, a, in many ways, a snake eating its own tail. Mm. There's a notable scene where he'll... Um, he does a reaction video to his own video. Yeah. He get, do, does a number and then he records like his own mm. commentary on it. And then he will in turn, record a commentary for that commentary. You'll do a reaction video to his reaction video to his reaction video to his reaction video. Just like four or five times. And this idea that we're just sort of in this social feedback loop Mm -hmm. of... Not creating Just sort of Bouncing off one another Until mm. We don't We realize that we Really, really haven't made Anything of value well, And
1: that's what's really Fascinating about mm. that Sequence alone Is um, It starts off with a song And it's a song It's actually a funny song mm. um, And the idea is There were a lot of Old blues songs About uh, You know Just the, the, the Shitty uh, Blue collar work yeah. What it was like To be a working man And um he was talking about in this song how um, we don't have a lot of blues songs about like shitty blue-collar work today, so he decided to make a, a blues song about being an unpaid intern and what <laughs> kind of unique hell that is mm. uh, and how that, that job shouldn't even exist. Uh, and he was right about that And it's a good song in a vacuum And so he did a commentary track where he talked about the idea behind that And then once the commentary track uh, Once the reaction video to that ends And his reaction video starts going on And he starts reacting to the reaction video He realizes that by making a reaction video he was actually being enormously pretentious mm-hmm. and then by making a reaction video to the reaction video to the reaction video he realizes that his attempt to write himself off as pretentious was itself disingenuous and is mm-hmm. kind of a call for attention to see how to his own greatness and he starts the, the, gradually peeling off layers of the onion until all he can do is cry
0: the uh i i haven't seen this level of uh sort of Self-satire and sort of social criticism From somebody Bo Burnham's age I've seen mm. a lot of, you know Bo Burnham's pretty young He's like, yeah. I think he's, he's He turned 30 he while turned, he was making yeah, this Yeah, turned 30 yeah, a song um, about it
3: even. Uh,
0: And you know that to him, that's sort of like the end of the road. He's no longer young. He is an adult. He is thirty years yeah. old, and uh, now he's now it's time to reflect. Oh God. And there's,
1: this, there's this one brutal lyric that he was talking about in that song where you're talking about turning thirty, and he was like, you know, I, I guess I'll give it another ten years and just kill myself when I'm forty because he can't imagine he couldn't imagine reaching thirty. Now he can't imagine reaching, reaching forty. 40. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is brutal. Don't do that, by the way. Mm. But uh, and he's but it's just the way that he will just casually throw in mm. severe mental health issues yeah in this thing while he was obviously going through them mm. is painful honestly to watch yeah, it's uh, but while being insightful and yet funny yeah, how did he do that yeah yeah
0: uh, uh but what i was going to say is a, a lot of uh, younger filmmakers are very celebratory yeah. of of their generation of the things around them of the, yeah. the, the pop culture they're engaged in and this ability to connect via social media yeah and it, it's also been openly acknowledged that a lot of that social media, Instagram in particular, is particularly false. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the life you project on social media is a different version of yourself than the yeah. one you're living out in real life. And while there have been some attempts to satirize this or address mm-hmm. it, they've all been incredibly clumsy. I'm reminded of a film from last year called, um, oh, uh, it was with Andrew Garfield, uh, um, done by one of the Coppolas mainstream it was called oh wow i totally uh, forgot that existed yeah Yeah. and uh that was about you know you kids are on your phones too much and it was just like little grump grump and didn't know any of the details yeah uh i feel like Bo burnham finally cracked that with Mm -hmm. inside this really uh harsh uh takedown of sort of the, the the flaws of what he saw in sort of his own generation I feel
1: like a lot of uh, Older storytellers Filmmakers mm-hmm. uh, Pundits even When they talk about stuff Like your new generation And what you're mm-hmm. into um, There's this And listen We're starting to feel it as well I'm turning mm-hmm. 40 this year You're, you're I'm already I'm already 43 You're mean? already over the hump Like it's it's We're, we're not y- Young and with it And part of all the new <laughs> hip trends Even when I was young I wasn't with it I just used the word with it I'm quite old now <laughs> But my point is this uh, With it know, What are you what, Born in nineteen fifty I look at something like TikTok and I can appreciate TikTok, but I am not of TikTok. No, no. I don't know I do I'm not ever gonna be on TikTok. I I I've done a couple of TikToks at the requests of other people, and no. I never quite felt I cracked it. It's not my medium. It's not what I grew up with, it's not what I'm comfortable with. If I really delved into it, maybe I could be, but it's not my generation. Uh so when a lot of uh, filmmakers, storytellers, pundits, whatever, when they criticize stuff like that, whether or not they have a valid point, they're not necessarily coming from a place of participatory experience. Mm-hmm. But Burnham is young enough that he is, and yet yeah. he still is. So when he criticizes it it comes from a critique of someone who gets why it works mm. and also is starting to be old enough to understand why it is hurting him yeah and it is hurting other people and hurt it's hurting his relationships and it's hurting his ability to even think clearly because there's this constant stream of distraction st- of not just yeah. distraction but stream of consciousness stimuli from millions of people simultaneously mm. That's not a healthy thing no, to download into your brain all the time. It's actually quite dangerous if you're not my, very, very uh,
0: careful. As a, I'm, I'm a parent. I have yeah. a, my son is six. And uh, we, have to, we were very concerned that um, like, when we're driving, yeah. especially when he's really young, it's like, well, what's, what's in the back seat to stimulate him, uh-huh. to sort of keep him occupied, to sort of make sure he's mm. sort of engaged with something? And... You know, we realized this, and we also read this in, in sort of parenting books, that boredom is incredibly good for the human mind. Yeah. Uh, not having constant input is good for your mind. That's mm-hmm. when your mind gets to wander. That's when your imagination gets to wander. It's yeah. when you remember and
1: daydream. You know, you know, what, I mean? so, you know what I'm most creative nowadays mm-hmm. is that, like, 10, 15-minute chunk between when I decide to go to bed and when I actually fall asleep.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's
1: yeah. The, when I have no. I'm not trying to stimulate myself. I'm not trying to be on top of things in the world. I'm not trying to get anything done. I'm actually winding down, and my mind is free to wander. Mm-hmm. Someone was on. I Forget what. Was. Someone was uh, posting online about um, for people who grew up before social media, before uh, smartphones. Mm-hmm. What element of that lifestyle do you miss? And I realized the first thing I thought of was boredom. You're quiet. Like, oh, I oh, time to read. I oh, did I did I and did I show up early for something and I have to like, oh, I misjudge traffic and I'm a half mm-hmm. hour early to something. Uh then I just sit here, don't I? Or I wander around and look at things and I think to myself and I ponder. Mm-hmm. Um, these are things that we've kind of lost because all of a sudden, like, or I could get things done and by get things done, I mean engage with whatever is trending right now. And mm-hmm. I'm totally a victim of this. I do this all the time. Um, I think Bo Burnham is actually very insightful about this, and he's also freely acknowledging that he's coming at it from the perspective of a privileged white celebrity, mm-hmm. and that could be insufferable, but I think he knows what to acknowledge about it and when it's getting in the way of something genuine, and I think he's understanding that I'm presenting to you my limited experience here, mm-hmm. and which is why he gets away with that. Uh, but um anyway, this is the, the soundtrack is brilliant. It's really, really funny, it's really, really sad, it's super creative, and I think it's one of those pieces of media that when all is said and done, and whenever the fuck it is that we get over this, or that we achieve some sort of new normal, even if it's not the same old normal, Mm -hmm. when we look back at what was it like in that weird transition period... Uh, Host is going to be one of those The horror movie from last Mm -hmm. year And I think Bo Burnham Inside Is going to be another one That's basically like Here is the media we made At the time That spoke to That experience For sure Yeah uh, uh, what, what's your next film?
0: Well, uh, why don't we go from a millennial turning thirty to a Gen Xer turning thirty? I don't know. Why uh, not? Uh, 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 Lin Manuel Miranda's "Tick Tick Boom" is oh, that's uh, on my list too. Very much one of my favorite films of this year. It's a very good film.
1: Uh, yeah, and this is also oh, wait. about. <laughs> it didn't make my final list.
0: So it I'm did glad make you... your final
1: list. No, no, no. It's on my. It's on my honorable mentions. Oh, ah, so I'm glad, okay. I'm glad well, you brought it. up. I'm glad. Uh, yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, this 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 is.
0: Uh, it's if, great. If, if, we ranked, if we ranked these things This would be high on yeah. my list Just because I well, really really love this And if
1: we did a top 30 this would be equally On my yeah, level of yeah, anything yeah, else okay. on my list I just had to cut it off somewhere And I was pretty sure Whitney would pay it So it a <laughs> yeah, safe it's, bet.
0: it's based on the musical by Jonathan Larson The musical is about the writing Of the musical you're watching uh, What was going on in Jonathan Larson's life Jonathan Larson uh, best known for the musical Rent mm-hmm. uh, He won not just Tony's but a Pulitzer Prize for it uh, and he is, I mean, if, if you want to put it in these terms. Kind of the voice of a generation mm-hmm. He codified a lot of what people that
1: age were going through uh, What people in their 20s were going through Especially in the, in the 90s Especially in the medium of musical theater Which yeah. was, you know, not necessarily keeping up with the times And didn't have a contemporary mm-hmm. uh, yeah, new this, voice This was like a, a
0: big grand rock opera That was about a lot of uh, important contemporary things And queerness and AIDS and yeah. rock and roll and, and art this, this is in the and early uh, 90s, by the yeah. way, is what it said, yeah Yeah, it's set in the 90s uh, in New York. And uh, Jonathan Larson made that film about people he knew. They were all based very loosely on friends of his. And uh, he was very enamored of musical theater. He wrote songs all the time. And Tick, Tick, Boom is about Jonathan Larson, played by Andrew Garfield, going through that experience, writing songs all the time, and uh, trying to put it forth in a way that feels pure and great. He is trying Mm. to be a great artist. And... It's frustrating because he succeeded.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that always annoying? Like, yeah, oh, like the,
0: He didn't just luck into it. He actually like he buckled s- down, he did said, the work. He said, he wanted to change musical theater and he
1: did. Damn it. Ah. Uh, Every once in a while they do it. They call their shot and then they yeah. hit the home run. Most people call their shot and then they go home. Uh, just
0: the, the passion of it and this devotion to art is mm-hmm. exhilarating and tick, tick, boom, uh, there was a there was a big concern. It, it's in rent. It's also sort of a, a big sort of underlying part of a lot of uh, films about young people that were made in the '90s. Mm-hmm. This idea of selling out. Uh, you want to be part of the. You want to be on the outside. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be part of corporate culture. That's the evil. That's yeah. sort of the echoes of Reagan era economics. You don't want to be
1: part of that mm-hmm. anymore. And uh, so, like when you think about it, think about how, what what the art a lot of those people were were growing up with, it was like. The the cinema scene wasn't defined by your big giant blockbuster franchises. It was defined by things like The Godfather or Easy Rider. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was defined the the idea of being an iconoclast and working with, outside the system so much that people, even people inside the system, had to grant you respect. Mm. Uh, that was the ideal. That that was that was the goal. And yeah. uh, uh, I've I've heard.
0: Uh, some millennial critics talk about uh, rent and Gen mm. X and this notion of selling out being this like faraway fantasy. It's like, yeah. we we just want to succeed on at any costs. Yeah.
1: The idea we'll, we'll get, take what we can well, get yeah, right we'll, now. We'll take
0: the, the corporate contract. We want to work for yeah. corporate America. That's where the money is. We're trying to break in there. We're trying to be on the inside. What was that? Was it, and, uh, was it the comedy
1: uh, sleeping with other people that opened with like two guys and they started an app or something mm-hmm. and they sold their app to a billion dollar corporation. And when they were done signing the contract at the end of the movie, they said, congratulations, boys. You just sold out, mm-hmm. and they high five to win. Yeah, yeah, that
0: was, yeah it was Jason Sudeikis? That was, yeah, uh, a was a sleeping with film. other people.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, Jonathan Larson? No, he I had he, no he, interest. In fact, there's a scene in Tick, Tick, Boom where, um, in order to make ends meet because he's impoverished, he gets an in with an advertising firm, and there's this. Scene around a, a board table yeah. where he's sitting with uh, other people who are incredibly uncreative, or at least and, inarticulate. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they're asking questions like, "What do you think of when you hear the word America?"
1: Yeah, and being you know, a creative get, person who's used to expressing himself, hmm. he comes up with interesting imagery and exciting themes, and everyone's going, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And he realizes briefly, "I could do this. I'd be very good at this." It pays really, really well, and to me, it's easy. And within but, about ten minutes of that, be, he realizes that it would be completely joyless, soulless, and ruin his and, life. And not not contributing
0: to the world at large. Exactly. At all. Uh, in addition to all that, all this uh, talk of selling out and success and devoting your life to art, which I think is... Uh, very inspiring and of course the the stories where uh, an artist devotes themselves to art leaves some fallout he kind yeah. of turns his back on his friends and his um mo- most particularly his girlfriend who wants to move with him and he just he's made his decision but he doesn't want to like sort of say it out loud to her mm-hmm. and break up he, with her
1: yeah he doesn't want to actually bite that bullet um, yeah uh
0: there's also this grand love of Theater, this theater fetish almost, uh, as exemplified in the diner sequence where... A bunch of really recognizable Broadway stars oh
1: show up in background scenes. It's, this is like... This scene is like... Um, it's like
0: um, the the final fight scene in Avengers. I was going to bring this up. Kid.
1: Imagine... Imagine... if Imagine... You remember that, that thrill a lot of people got from watching the end of Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. and all these characters are suddenly on screen together and even if they don't have anything to do really, it's just kind of cool that they're all there like in a big George Paris splash page or something like... ooh, Okay, imagine you didn't know that was coming... And it's in the middle of the movie. And you're like, what the fuck? And you suddenly realize, like, every... There's a big crowd scene because it's a busy Sunday at a diner. And every single incidental person in this scene... These are not characters you've seen before. They're all played by people you either know very well... Or you're pretty sure you know them. Because you're, you're maybe not quite as much of a theater nerd as other people. But you're like... That's an important person, right? That's someone I've seen before. And then you realize oh, that they're all there for a reason. Yeah. And they're all here for this huge, so, what a great centerpiece. Who's that old
0: man? Oh, that's Joel Gray. Yeah. Oh, B.B. Newworth and yeah. Bernadette Peters. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's really, bet. really wonderful. So yeah, yeah, of course, as,
1: as a kid who once studied theater, I'm mm-hmm. just like, Oh
0: wait, I know those people. That's
1: wonderful. One of the things I love about this movie, and this movie is great. Mm-hmm. By the way, I love it. And this is my favorite Andrew Garfield performance ever. He's fantastic here. Um, one of the things I love about this this, this uh, movie is is the story that it's telling. is It's a story of um, Jonathan Larson trying to put together a very ambitious sort of dystopian sci-fi musical. No, it's called Superbia. Thank you. Um, and it's all about him trying to get this thing off the ground, trying to make it work. And uh, you may have noticed that you haven't really heard of Superbia. Uh, and without going into any details, um, it's also about what happens when your plans change. And yeah, I man. really love how the movie, without going somewhere really pat with it, acknowledges that you can be a success and still not get what you want and still have to completely, dramatically rethink it. Mm-hmm. There's a there's this one short, very short conversation oh, he, he has he, with he, his he, agent. He and his agent, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where his agent outlines exactly the way it is to him. And that is perfection and totally true and a really hard truth to swallow. Uh, and yet... It's exactly right, and it's so perceptive. It's super great. I love it to pieces. Uh, I'm actually a little surprised it didn't make my top 13 the more we talk about it, but (laughs) it is really fucking good, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, My next pick is my last one and the one that, like, some might argue it doesn't belong here. Okay. Uh, However, I disagree. It's a film that uh, was submitted for Academy Awards consideration. I think it was even nominated for Best uh, International Film at the Oscars last year, but it wasn't released in America until this year.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It didn't, I hadn't seen it in time for my list last year. I think this is totally within the bounds of everything. Uh, and I'm just going to let it, and I need to talk about this movie because it's so damn good. Uh, this is Quo Vadis Aida. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um,
0: did you end up seeing this?
1: I forget. I no, know. I did. I did. Okay. And,
0: and this this movie is is a fucking panic attack. Oh my uh, God, is this movie. This is one of the most <laughs> intensely
1: dramatic motion pictures hmm. uh, I saw all year. It's And it's, holy shit, is it, is it just really powerful. <laughs>
0: it moves us to cussing is how good it's, it
1: is. It's really, 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 I mean, it's good. I don't tend to gravitate towards films that um, sort of provoke what I would consider an unpleasant emotion just because I have general anxiety disorder anyway so mm. I'm kind of an easy mark uh, and I just you know you can you can push me just a little too far and I almost like resent the film for it if I'm not careful um, but here it's so potent and so uh, uh so this is a movie uh, uh set in Bosnia directed by Yasmina Baek and it is about uh the United Nations. Are uh, set, they've set up camp? This is a country that is uh, war torn, uh, being run by a fascist dictator, and there are a lot of people who have been trying to work with the United Nations to try to find some sort of solution to this humanitarian crisis. Mm. And what people don't realize is that today, and this movie takes place mostly over the course of one day. Uh, today is the day the fascists have said we're just we're just we're just done with it, mm. and they roll into town. And everyone flees. They flee for this United Nations compound, which is not designed to handle thousands of people. Certainly not designed to feed them or shelter them long term. It's it's just a. They're just in yeah. a warehouse. And again, this is the UN. If their guns are mostly for show, they're not a war. Yeah, they're not a military. Th- they're force, not a military yeah. force. They can they can threaten, but as we see in the film, it's kind of an empty threat. And the. Uh, well, frankly, the fascists have come to understand that and realize that they have all the power here. Um, and we follow a an interpreter uh, whose name is Aida. Uh, mm. She is played by, and I hope I don't get the name terribly wrong, uh, Yasna Durachik, uh, who is basically being called everywhere all at once. She has to solve every single crisis. She has to be involved in everything. While she is simultaneously... Trying to protect her own family Mm -hmm. Trying to make sure that they are cared for And yeah she's trying to prioritize them There's thousands of people who are trying to seek protection right now and she cares about her her husband and her son and they're she's just trying to keep them safe she's been assured that they would be and as the day goes on she realizes that those assurances meant nothing no it's and if they have any chance at all it's up to her to try to find a way to finagle the system which is designed not to work and will ultimately lead to a genocide Hmm. uh that's just historical fact that's not a spoiler. Uh, and it's just a matter of, can she make her family the exception that gets out of this? And without ruining where the movie goes, devastating motion picture. Uh, It is not, it is not about stopping the inevitable. It is about trying to find some slight, some like slippery little loophole through it. Mm. If you can, and there's no guarantee yeah, whatsoever yeah. that that's possible.
0: It, it feels like a nightmare you've had where you're stuck at the DMV mm. and you can't get out uh, and yeah. lives are at stake, only it's real life.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's Kafka-esque mm. if Kafka was writing about genocide, which yeah. he didn't really directly do. Like, there's something about that, like, if it's like, oh, the bureaucracy doesn't like you okay, fine, that sucks when you're turning into a cockroach, but on top of everything else, they want to kill everyone in your town? Well, then the bureaucracy not working is that much more horrifying, isn't it? Yeah. Um, This movie is spectacularly well-paced. like It's absolutely riveting. It's one of the most suspenseful engines Mm -hmm. I've ever seen a movie run on. Uh, the cast is fantastic. They're all completely hopeless or absolute monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ending was, has stuck with me this this whole year. Um, I don't generally go out of my way to recommend movies that I consider a bummer. That's just my taste. <laughs> okay. Sequel Vada Saida. Yeah. Sequel mm-hmm. Vada Saida. Sequel Vada Saida. It is intensely powerful, suspenseful. Absolutely, it's an ignition switch of a movie. And I think it's really impossible not to get something really uh, intensely emotionally potent out of it. Um, I I love this movie as much as uh, this movie... Terrified <laughs> me. I, I love this movie and mm. I'm so glad this movie got made and I really want more people to see it every day. Yeah, I, I think I recommended it
0: like last year. For some reason, this like fell in a crack for me. So it's it's not on my list. Yeah. It would be on my list for last year. Yeah, but, so, uh,
1: some people would have put it on last year because it was an Oscar eligible film, but it wasn't released in America until afterwards because. Oscar-eligible international films, kind yeah. of whatever. So I, for me, I feel like there's a gray area, and I get an opportunity now to talk about this movie that otherwise, because it fell through some cracks, people kind of just overlooked. Mm. And I just want to take this opportunity. And besides, I'm not the Academy. I don't care about their rules. This is my list. Mm. This movie came out in America in 2021. Boom. All right. I I to say it. What do you got next? Um, uh, I have
0: a, another film that made me panic a lot. Uh, and is it's a Romanian film. And it's mm. called Bad Luck, Banging, or Loony Porn.
1: I haven't seen this. Uh, bad yeah.
0: Luck, Banging, or Loony Porn uh, is... It'll piss you off so bad. Uh, the <laughs> premise is it's about a teacher. Uh, she's played by uh, uh, an actress named Katia Pascariu, uh, And she uh, has made a sex tape with her husband. Yeah. And it's leaked. It's online. Yeah. And the people who work at her school have gotten wind of this. And the first act of the movie is her just sort of walking around these really kind of dingy uh, Romanian exteriors, these kind of boring buildings going into shops and casinos. Uh, No glitz, nothing really exciting about it. It's really kind of humdrum and rundown on the phone with people who know about what's going on and her just sort of slowly panicking about what she can do about this Mm -hmm. uh this was filmed during the pandemic as well so you can see people trying to trying to abide by certain sort of rules you know the masks and staying distance but at the same time not really respecting those rules yeah the second act takes a break from that takes a break from the main story and just gives a kind of a glossary of terms ...that relate to the Romanian national character. Okay. Uh, and it goes through uh, all these terms uh, alphabetically. Uh, there's, It all relates back to uh, the uh, Romanian Revolution. Uh, there's sort of uh, concepts, objects, phrases. Uh, there's uh, a few hardcore moments. Mm. It, it is about a sex tape, and we do see the hardcore sex tape at the beginning. So uh, you know, prepare yourself for hardcore sex in your movie. They they um, warn you. They do warn. It it's literally in the title. It's called yeah, bad luck banging or loony porn, uh, and yeah, and it's just sort of getting you in this sort of contemplative mood that there's bigger things going on in the world, and there's weird little absurd things that connect to uh, the actions we've seen. And the third act is the one that will piss you off because she's finally arrived at the school board meeting that's being held outdoor, outdoors in this little square in her school. Everybody's wearing masks. They're constantly reminding each other to like sort of pull it over their noses. And they're going to decide whether or not she's allowed to continue being a teacher after her sex tape has leaked. She didn't leak it. Somebody else yeah, did. It's not her fault. Her but privacy was the thing that was violated yeah. here. But everybody says, we can't have somebody like you. And they start hurling all this sexist language yeah. at her. Uh, They pull the video up and show it to everybody just while she's sitting there at a table, not able to say anything. And she's clearly just being completely humiliated. Uh, All of the conversation spins off into weird moral theory. We get to hear all of these like idiot conspiracy theorists and racists and sexist people saying all of these like really casually flippant, bigoted things Uh, in in that way where you don't expect people to say it so casually casually. And yeah. They do. They do in such a casual way. You're not really sure how to even call them out on it. You're
1: you're, you're so taken aback when when, it's like, when someone's just like incidentally, casually, hmm. horrifying, like racist yeah. or homophobic say, yeah. or something. And you're just you're just it takes you. It takes you a, like a few minutes. It takes to really you a have. moment to realize just they they did you actually just say that out loud. Hmm. It's bad enough that you thought it, but you said it out loud. But by that point, they were doing it so casually, they've moved on. They've moved and you're on like, and wait a minute, wait, we got to go back a and minute and a, talk about how fucking horrible you are. But
0: it's also it's also really horrible because this is, you know, yeah. 2021, and this yeah. is where you know, idiot conspiracy theories are everywhere. So everybody's operating from some different basis of reality. Uh, and, There's no communication yeah, anymore. I also and,
1: thank the internet for that.
0: Uh, and, uh... So, yeah, this is just out on display in this big, really maddening conversation. And then uh, the film treats us to three different endings. And uh, one of them is really, really happy. Or, well, as happy as can be in this scenario. Mm-hmm. One of them is very unfortunate. And one of them is completely off-the-wall bonkers. And yeah, it's yeah. that really off-the-wall bonkers thing that just sort of cements this as a, a, a wonderful work of art. Wow. Uh, because of... Uh, It's essentially fulfilling a fantasy of the main character Mm. and us. It gives us that catharsis in this sort of fantasy scenario. And I don't want to say what it is because I want you to see it. Mm. Uh, Yeah, don't even look up the synopsis because it'll give it away. Uh, It's very much of the time. It's Mm. very much of 2021. It's about how our political discourse has changed. It's how the world has taken this really serious skew towards the conservative. Yeah. And having a sex tape, even one online shouldn't be a big deal no, anymore.
1: it's uh, really not like I, you know there's there's
0: gonna come a time when it's gonna be weird if somebody doesn't have nude photos somewhere or at the very that. least
1: like you know i, I remember don't... seeing like you know like oh god do you really want you you took pictures of yourself at a party mm-hmm. and you had booze in your hand and you were hanging out with your friends and you looked drunk And i remember people telling me like are you sure you want that on your social media people might see that mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah 20 years man that's people everyone's going to have those images yeah, but it's like, but we're we're sort of through these weird growing pains where yeah.
0: people are losing jobs because they were drunk in a picture on their social media yeah it's their social media
1: there're definitely lines that can be crossed there mm. and there's definitely oh, reasons definitely. why someone's social if, media might actually make you not want to work with them but there's a lot of these things which are just sort of it's not yeah, that but, that's yeah. not a problem like, that's like just she, life the, the main character she she's she hasn't
0: she's the the victim here yeah she's the one who's been violated uh yeah. she's done nothing wrong and she is in the position Except of having to defend herself.
1: completely I, taken away from them I remember, um, I remember
0: i remember i don't want to call out her name but i remember when a, a young actress who grew hmm. up working for the disney company uh had a, a quote scandal when a, a nude photograph of herself leaked online yeah um uh,
1: Someone hacks so, their phone. Someone hacked like, her, yeah. yeah,
0: She sent this to a friend yeah. f- that her friend could see. This was all consensual it, and yeah. she's permitted to do that. It leaked. The public saw it and she had to apologize. Ridiculous. She doesn't need to apologize. No. She did something because it, it was just a, a, someone, something she did privately yeah. between
1: a friend. Someone violated their privacy. Yeah. That's that's the problem there.
0: It's really, uh, but uh, I remember how, yeah. how grossed out I was that she was the one who had to apologize and they weren't like sort of catching the people who were doing it. Yeah. Uh, bad luck banging a loony porn just says we haven't really moved very far in terms of our really prudish attitudes and uh, Mm. this one just confronts it and displays it for
1: us and makes us feel outraged for it Uh, it's it's Really quick. Okay. I need to see this. Yeah. I haven't had an opportunity yet, so thank you for the reminder. I have no good segue. You've left me with nothing. Well, bad luck banging or loony porn is kind of an unusual film. I don't. It? I don't that's, have like. Speaking of bad luck it's banging,
0: striking, what? and Spe- that's one of the reasons I like to. Speaking uh, to of porn, it.
1: like I don't really have it, but uh, so I'm just going to go with uh, the, the the hardest shift possible. I mean, I think it's mm. opportunity to go completely in another direction. Um, I don't have a lot of. I think this is actually my only quote unquote blockbuster. Okay. Uh, that has made it onto my list. It has not been a bad year for blockbusters, but a lot of the blockbusters we've had have been a little superficial. Mm. Godzilla versus Kong. There's just not much to that, is there? I, I you either like not that or a... you don't. But there's not a lot of depth to it. Uh, I'll
0: say this: uh, if if you're on the fence about Godzilla versus Kong, uh-huh. go read Matt Zoller's site's review over on yeah. RogerEbert.com He gave it four stars. Yeah, no, you liked it a lot. And yep. and yeah, called it like just sort of. The prime example of what these Saturday matinee Kinds of films
1: ought to offer And that's a perfectly valid perspective That's not mine, that's not the film I'm segueing into here Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, A sequel to a superhero movie In which uh, the hero Gets to encounter a different version Of themselves and we all learn a lot In the process that is of course Venom, let there be carnage (laughs) Good for you. I really like... I want to make it clear, and it's in my runners-up. Spider-Man No Way Home is a very good movie. I like it a lot. Uh, Spider-Man, it's, it's emotional. It's because, uh, I'm a slam dunk with Spider-Man. He's a favorite character of okay. mine. You can Even bad Spider-Man movies tend to have something I really like in them. Um, I wasn't really connected with Venom. I grew up when Venom was a thing. I grew up when Venom was like <laughs> the, Spider-Man's new arch nemesis. He was like new at the time, and he was the, he was the new hotness. And I never really... Cared. He just seemed like a bad guy who looks like Spider Man with a cool, creepy grin. Mm. Spider Man's evil twin. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and that's fine. And I get it. Any brocaded Spider Man or whatever like that. But it was always kind of just you know, this superficial, this bad guy hates the hero thing. And I never really cared very much. And I read other Venom stories, and I never really understood why we kept coming back to this character other than what an interesting design. The first Venom movie. Not particularly well plotted motion picture But it's a very fun one And certainly swung for the fences mm. And had a good time I'm, This new one uh, Hey look I'm sorry about Venom That's one of the funniest goddamn <laughs> life. This is nothing Anyway Um Michelle Williams I'm glad she got her paycheck man
0: MVP oof, to the wall. My god
1: Um She has to do very little here It's such a weird rover. One of the greatest actors we have Period Just Fifth lead in Venom Um then Let There Be Carnage uh, is a very punchy, it's like an hour and a half uh, sequel directed by Andy Serkis, mm. uh, a director who knows quite a bit about actors wrestling with inner voices when they're playing CG creations, because mm. he was Gollum. Mm. Uh, and he took this film from a, from a script, obviously, he didn't write it, but um, he focused on the characters so much that this ended up becoming... An amazing queer love story About a polyamorous queer relationship And that's it Everything else is incidental This is all about Well and it gives two examples Because there's a, a villain who
0: doesn't do it quite right
1: Exactly and that's what I love about it It's actually like a fully explored theme um so you've got uh Eddie Brock played by Tom Hardy and Venom also played by Tom Hardy. Ven- and Venom is
0: a living black alien glop yeah. that lives inside his body.
1: At the end of the last movie they they kind of lost their girlfriend uh played mm-hmm. by Michelle Williams. They they still they're still kind of close but that's not going to happen. So now they're just living together and neither and like neither of them are super comfortable and willing to admit a that they're in love, which they are and they mm-hmm. do by the end of the movie. Uh, but B, that they're the kind of people who would be in this relationship. They're both a little ashamed of their circumstance. <laughs> Venom is ashamed of being with a dork like like uh, uh, Eddie, Eddie Brock, yeah. and Eddie Brock is ashamed of being with a monster who wants to bite people's heads off. I see his point, but he's not, he's not letting himself go. Over the course of the film, they end up separating and realizing that they are miserable without each other, and it's very, very sweet. Um, meanwhile, uh, Venom accidentally... Uh, leaves a bit of goo uh, in a jail cell with a homicidal maniac played by Woody Harrelson, uh, who also develops his own alien symbiote and decides to start a new polyamorous relationship between him, his alien carnage, and his ex girlfriend or girlfriend, but they're, they she was arrested and mm. taken away, uh, uh, played by Naomi Harris, uh, and they are incompatible together. They can't share. They can't like. Mm. They don't understand what it means to be poly and have boundaries and actually like. Uh, uh, share a life together properly. Everyone's kind of in it for their own. Everyone's being very, very selfish about it. And in the end, what sa- saves the day is a positive queer poly relationship over a toxic queer poly relationship. <laughs> and I gotta tell you something. Like the movie is weird, and it's maybe it's silly. Uh, it's, it's incredibly it's- silly. But I love that we're at a point now mm-hmm. where a, where superheroes are so mainstream. There's such a there's such a a headshot. We make a superhero movie and we do it even halfway right. We'll make money. That we're finally at the point now where people can make kind of weird chances, like hmm. take weird chances here and use these stories to tell not just stories about heroic sacrifice, not just stories about why good versus evil, but to tell actually like use characters who maybe never lived up to their full potential because the language that we could use to describe why Venom is such a great character was not available to comics writers in the 80s. Or if it was, they definitely weren't allowed to talk about it because of the comics code and everything. Um, Now that we have a more open conversation about a lot of the topics that Venom is about... Venom all of a sudden I understand why this character exists I understand why this character is great I actually uh... really like The adventures of Venom and Eddie Brock And I have an emotional investment In seeing characters Whose experiences connect with me More than I ever thought They would
0: Uh, That's so exciting It opens um, it up so
1: much I I
0: did read Venom comics in the the 1990s I I used used to be a big Spider-Man fan I just sort of lost interest after a while But uh yeah, in, in the comics, Venom is, uh, yeah, this alien glop sort of wraps around him, and he becomes this other creature. And it's less about the relationship between he and the creature. The yeah. movies made it about made that central, yeah, especially the second film. Uh, and what kind of relationship would you have with an alien that's occupying your body? It knows yeah. your brain, it knows your thoughts. You know each other's appetites, you yeah. know each other's little impulses. You have to completely
1: accept everything about it's, each other, you know? Very, it's very intimate.
0: It's very, yeah, it's very much about having this intimate romantic relationship. With and, yourself, uh,
1: in a way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, there's... It, it's not the most elegant movie. No, 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 no. It's, it's a sloppy kiss of a film. Yeah. There's no
1: denying it. But I admire, I, the, the, I big, admire the, big, the swing uh, it takes.
0: The big fight at the end is pretty dumb. There's a yeah. villain who cares. Uh, and uh, Other than Carnage, that is. Yeah. Uh, that sort of ties into the
1: plot, which I can barely remember. It's so uh, simple. There, yeah. we, created, we created Carnage. Carnage broke out. He wants to kill some people who wronged them and then get married. That's it.
2: Yeah, That's yeah,
1: all yeah. they want. There's
0: a lot of you know shades of uh, natural-born killers in there. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate that this is... Uh, kind of like an old school approach to making a, an exploitation movie like this yeah. you make it 90 minutes you make it mm-hmm. about something a little bit more simple and relatable it's mm-hmm. not about interworld interconnectivity or it, any of the other things that it's, the about, it's about it's about being
1: an outsider in a mm-hmm. way that a lot of other uh, superhero movies have kind of forgotten that's a big part of what the genre, yeah. genre has always been and uh, you know if,
0: and, and I do like that it is explicitly queer you yeah. know Venom goes to a Halloween party and has a even says it's my coming out day and you know Mm. gives a speech about how... How happy he is To be free of his boyfriend And then stumbles off stage yeah. And says I wish you could have seen me Daddy you could have been here with me
1: <laughs> There's a great bit Where like a woman comes up And she's, and Venom is very attractive He's muscular and everything Tall and muscular and he, so he she's kind of a shark She's coming on muscular. to him And he looks at this young woman And he's like Not my type Very explicit about this Whoa not my type yeah. This is not This is a clear mm. th- We're not reading into this <laughs> <laughs> This is text yeah. And I love that it's text And it's not just that it's text It's cool that this is the bonus But I actually love That we're using a, a very common me, uh, genre mm. to tell a story that is incredibly uncommon in the studio system. And we're doing it with amusement <laughs> and care mm. and affection. And I ended up really caring about these characters uh-huh. more than I have in almost any superhero type movie in a really long time. So, um, mm. yeah, I love this. I love this weird sloppy kiss of a film. There you go. What's your next pick? Um, well, I also have, a. a- Queer romance on oh, my
0: list. Good, uh, rather I have four of them. Uh, this is, <laughs> this is uh, Lee Janiac's
1: Fear Street series. Uh, that's um, that's on mine as well. Okay, the, the whole uh, trilogy. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. It, it's sold as three films. The last film is really two films. Um, but Well like all to together. They're like, all just one. I, I, yeah, together. Uh, if, if you take them all as sort of this one gigantic unit, uh, it's a,
1: it, it doesn't come so much come in a trilogy as much as it comes in a slumber party. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to less. watch this all this whole thing uh, over the course of a weekend, basically. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's an adaptation of... a loose adaptation of mm-hmm. R.L. Stein's uh, books, and it was all directed by a relative newcomer, Lee Janiac. This is not her first film, but she hasn't directed a lot of other films. Mm-hmm. Um, this is certainly their big, like, oh my God, look at Lee Janiac. Look at them go. Um, there are three slashers, one that takes place in the 90s, uh, and it is about uh, a queer couple who breaks up and... Uh, wouldn't you know it? This town has been cursed by an ancient witch, and every once in a while, people get possessed by the spirit of a horrible slasher and go on killing sprees. Yeah. And now they've been targeted. Uh, the second film uh, takes ba- uh, takes place in the I think seventy nine. Is it Fear Street nineteen seventy nine or seventy seven?
0: Uh, 78. 78. Um, yeah. so, ah, I
1: split the difference.
0: Part one is, uh, is 1994. Yeah. Part two is 1978. And, and that's, a, that's a is... summer camp slasher yeah. that is as good
1: as any summer camp slasher I can think of. It's a really uh, good well, summer it's, camp it's slasher. Well,
0: it's better because it's actually more thoughtful and put together more professionally. Yeah. A lot of the summer camp yeah. slashers that were made in the 70s and 80s were amateur affairs. Yeah. You, you watch that first uh, uh, Friday the 13th movie and it's it's... Uh, it's atmospheric it's and creepy, red, but, like, but, uh, it's not a
1: lot to it. Yeah, this the, actually has really strong yeah. characters, really cool writing. Yeah, going so we,
0: we meet the characters in 1994, then we meet other characters in 1978 and how, sort of, the uh, sh- supernatural murder shenanigans began, uh-huh. and then we flashback, then we, sort of, have the psychic uh, phenomenon where... We're able to sort of shunt the consciousnesses of the characters in 1994 back to the year 1666.
1: Yes. So we have this. We get to see the start of this horrifying supernatural
0: scare. And it's about a 70-minute film where we get to see, yeah, sort of how all this began. And then the last part of the second film
1: is back in 1994. Which actually resolves the storyline pretty well. There's Uh, so much creativity in this trilogy. It's based on
0: a series of novels by R.L. Stein, the Goosebumps guy, and it's meant to appeal to a young audience. And so it has that kind of, to mm. use your term, that raucous slumber party quality to it. Yeah. Uh, the first one has multiple slashers at once.
1: Which is that's, fun to that's, start that's with. That's the gimmick. There, there's like, a whole history of slashers. Like every ten oh. years or so, there's another slasher that attacks this town. and They all have their own like personalities and gimmicks and looks. And um, because of the, the machinations of the plot... Uh, they're all resurrected at once and they come Mm. after our heroes together, which is already a great idea for a movie.
3: Mm. That's already fun,
1: like on top of that. Um, but what's really marvelous about it is that on top of being sort of clever subversions of what we expect from these slasher type movies and horror movies of different genres, Mm. uh... The characters are wonderful. (laughs) Like, they're all great. Like, all the characters are super duper distinct and funny. And even some of them who seem like they would be uh, terrible cliches or comic relief foils... Or characters who normally You just couldn't wait to die The longer the story moves on The more you realize I actually completely Give a shit about yeah, this person and, and I care very very deeply About their well-being yeah, and, I, and when and they're the, fed Head first Into a Into a bread slicer <laughs> it, I, I, it, it, it hurt it, me It feels So, so yeah. bad Yeah I don't the, feel that way It's like yeah,
0: that, that, That's uh, definitely true of 94 Where they kind of Establish yeah. the character 78 is actually A far bitterer film The tone yeah. is very different In 78 Where the characters yeah. Are all very spiteful And they all kind of Hate each other. Well, there's not a lot of people because, who are uh,
1: who are trying to break out of the paradigm. They're just mm-hmm. stuck in this really yeah. shady, well, oppressive. And the
0: idea is uh, there's a lot of dialogue throughout all all of the movies about how the the town where it takes place It's this little uh, yeah. fictional town. It's like Springwood, Illinois. That's uh, no, it's that's a, Elm a, no, it's a Shady
1: Side and uh, Sunnyvale.
0: Shady Side and Sunnyvale, and um, that everything is just sort of horrible there, and bad things just sort of happen. Life is just bad in this town, and we don't know why. Uh, and over the course of the films, we do learn that the curse has a lot to do with it, and we also get to know how a, a leg i am trying to say this without giving anything away—how a legacy of the local law enforcement is the thing that's keeping all of this horribleness in place. You realize so that goes the, to
1: that the very, system um, that has been keeping people down for generations and generations is not a coincidence. Hmm. It's not the supernatural. On some level— the difficulties that we have as a society are built into the way society is constructed yeah and so this is actually like on top of being very fanciful and weird and there's a big climax with a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of slashers in a shopping mall like all that stuff is just cool on the surface but this is actually smart and there's actually like a lot of real thought that went into this in terms of Telling a really emotionally powerful story with meaningful characters who are going through different experiences than we've typically seen in a lot of slasher's that is also examining the way that the types of horror that we experience in these films do not exist in a vacuum and they actually are indicative of the world that creates them. Yeah, Um, Yeah, This is a modern horror classic. This is like instant Like, I was watching this, I was watching this the way we watched Small Axe last year. Oh uh, yeah. Or I guess 2 years like ago it, now. It, yeah. You you're watching like one and like this is amazing and then you watch the second one, and like this is also amazing. Wait. Can this be amazing all the way through? Can they really do it? <laughs> and Small Axe is a different beast, but they managed it and Fear Street totally pulled off. It, yes. They're very different films in some regards, but the overall piece together, this is a really crowning accomplishment for mm-hmm. any horror filmmaker. Yeah, uh, and the, wow. there,
0: are, there are times, especially in like near the end, where they're trying to sort of wrap up all the storylines, and it feels more like a TV climax than, you know,
1: mm. a proper
0: feature film. Uh, there's a little too much plot
1: going on at one yeah. point. I remember being a little uh, frustrated at the beginning of 1994, when it was kind of just wall to wall needle drops, like a little so yeah. many. I, I get it. It's the and, '90s, and, and there's this is kind when of like what, out, what was, movies were uh, like at the time. We were all trying to sell a soundtrack, but it took it it place it.
0: like in the summer of '94. And you know, as somebody who lived through the summer of '94, I, I was one of those assholes yeah. who was saying, "Wait, that song wouldn't come out for another three months yet." You know that yeah. kind of thing.
1: Yeah, which is uh, it's too much to ask for. It's still, but like I, I looked at it as a satire of 1990s movies that were trying to sell you a soundtrack. But I still think it overplays its hand a little bit, and I think because I think, it, uh, because it's trying to cram so much in and it's trying to like change the 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 storytelling tone, like every character seems to have their own soundtrack going on. Um, it took a little longer to acclimate to the characters than I would like, but because it's a three movie cycle, they get away with that. Yeah. They have a little extra time, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was my one critique, but even that doesn't bug me now that I've seen the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I, I have some critiques, but I feel like this is just such a, a wonderful achievement. Most yeah. importantly, the center of all of these movies is a queer romance. Yeah. That's and the a good one—a a good queer romance between two teenage girls. We are. This is what's at stake. Will these two teenagers end up like going on a date that they wanted to go on? Not like grow old, grow old, and get married. Mm. Just will they have their first date that they've been dreaming of? Or will death get in the way? Will misery of the town get in the way? Will bigotry get in the way? And when you put that as the emotional heart, it actually gives a lot of these uh, sort of gory moments a lot more meaning. There's actually something re- very real and very palpable at stake in the Fear Street films. I, I too was watching these movies with a mounting sense of excitement, the same way I watched the Small Axe films. Like this mm. is this is good. This is a good start. I'm really excited if they can keep at this level, and they did.
1: So, yeah, Fear Street. Damn good. Um, good one. Speaking of, uh, I don't know, streets. I guess there's streets in all these movies. Um, <laughs> uh, gonna, I, I have a
0: couple with no streets. No, no, I'll, I'll, I
1: got this, I got this. Right. Um, let's move on. Um, this year, mm-hmm. uh, saw the release of a film that I think flew under a lot of radars, uh, and yet it answers a question that I think has been very common, often in the mainstream or in the geekier communities. Uh, will we ever have a truly great live-action video game movie? And the answer is yes.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you chose. It's this. called
1: Werewolves Within. Werewolves
0: Within is so delightful. It
1: is Clue with a werewolf. It is Clue with a werewolf, and it's as good as that sounds.
0: <laughs> it's it's um it is in the le- in on the level of Clue. Yeah.
1: It's it, that witty. It,
0: it's a bunch of characters gathered in a place trying to figure out who a werewolf is. That's the, yeah. the basic premise. They're, they're all in a
1: small town. The small town gets isolated because of a storm. There have been a series of mysterious deaths that all appear to be animal related, and now they're all holed up in the same like kind of a bed and breakfast. And people are dying. And there's a new uh, uh, there's a new law enforcement guy in town. I think he's technically like a, a forest ranger. Uh, and he's still getting used to everybody. It's a whole town full of quirky characters, and the whole thing is: if a there might be a werewolf, and b if there mm-hmm. is a werewolf, one of you is a werewolf. And if there isn't a werewolf, <laughs> then one of you is a serial killer who thinks they're a werewolf. Either way, <laughs> this is quite bad. Uh, and everyone is a, a shitty asshole, and they just they're being shitty assholes to each other.
0: That's a premise that could go very badly. Oh, sure. Uh, I've, I've seen way too many horror movies and way too many uh, movies. Um, Zombie films, post-apocalypse movies where people are, uh, locked in a room together Mm -hmm. and they just scream at each other Yeah, because of the panic and I understand that the the It's
1: easy to to write badly isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, What you need in that kind of scenario is a rounded sense of who these characters are what they want where they're going to be how they're going to react to one another.
1: Everyone needs a very distinct Mm -hmm. bit of character to them, yeah. Uh,
0: And that's what Werewolves Within has in spades. Every single one of these characters seems fully realized or if they're not fully realized you at least know a lot about them just from Mm -hmm. what little information you get.
1: If they're not fully realized they're as fully realized as one would expect from say a sketch comedy routine Mm. so at the very least you know how they're going to react in a given situation you know what they're going to contribute to the conversation you know it's going to be funny
3: yeah
1: um the the two leads mm. are are particularly notable. Uh, Sam Richardson and Milena yeah. Veintraub. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Sam Richardson, he he plays the sheriff who's he's the outsider, he's just moved yeah. into town. Melena Veintraub is the one who is she's the mail carrier who's showing him around town, so they have a, a little bit of Man. banter right away. Uh M- M- Milena Veintraub is somebody I keep seeing Because she's the spokesperson for AT&T Yeah She's in a lot of commercials now It's like, oh, there she there's, there's Werewolves Within yeah. Lady She was
1: also uh, They did a pilot episode Oh, this is for the for, New Warriors For the New yeah. Warriors Which is, they kind of combined This is a Marvel series That didn't get off the ground I've been trying to track If anyone knows where to get this pilot Please, I want to see it. We want to review it. We want to talk to the world about this. Uh, But they combined the stories of the New Warriors, which was a Marvel superhero, sort of a teen super team. And also the Great Lakes Avengers, which was kind of a uh, jokey group of losers who were trying to be the Avengers, but Mm. they didn't have the chops for it. Uh, And she plays my favorite contemporary Marvel superhero (laughs) <laughs> uh, I guess she technically appeared a long time ago, but she ended up getting like yeah. sort of resurrected uh, for the modern era. Squirrel Girl. She plays Squirrel Girl and apparently she was quite good at it and she seems like perfect casting for Squirrel Girl. Uh, for Christmas, my mom got me uh, a like a, an action figure of Squirrel Girl on a moped. Uh, uh, Which is amazing And I can't wait to whip that out
0: I've learned recently That Squirrel Girl Whose whose outfit contains A big bushy squirrel tail Uh uh, Turns out that's a real tail Like it's
3: attached to her body She's mutant
1: Yeah the, also the, she's the greatest fighter I've, in the universe I've never uh, never read Thanos. anything with, uh, with Squirrel, Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl beat up Thanos. But Melina Van
0: was set to play yeah. Squirrel Girl. Uh, evidently uh, the higher ups were uh, uncomfortable with a queer storyline yeah. and because of homophobia just yeah. put the kibosh on the whole thing. But, Fucking
1: uh, assholes but anyway But Werewolves
0: um, Within is, is totally totally delightful This is
1: somebody who's seen the movie Clue a lot and used <laughs> it as a model and that's no bad thing. And they knew how to make it work They knew like when to escalate not just the 10 but also the madcap comedy. Like, when do we start? When do people start freaking out in a way that starts them literally running around like idiots? Yeah.
3: Um,
1: and while also introducing really wonderful characters, Sam Richardson and melina Weintraub are adorable together. They actually have this wonderful romantic chemistry that starts off like right away before even the werewolf attacks uh, uh, hit. Mm. Um, wonderful cast, superlatively entertaining. A little scary, but it's not going to make you lose any sleep unless maybe you're a little kid or something like Mm. that. But, like, it doesn't shy away from being a horror movie. Mm. It's a horror movie. Uh, But it's incredibly witty. It's one of the best comedies of the year. It's maybe not the best comedy of the year. I do have at least one more on my list. Uh, But uh, it's absolutely great, and everyone who has seen it, I've never seen anyone who has seen Werewolves Within go, eh. Mm. Like, it's just a matter of getting it in front of people's eyes, and then they go... This movie is fantastic Thank you for showing me this <laughs> If you haven't seen it Please, please, please Take my recommendation You're going to have Such a good time uh, So sorry, right, That's my next yeah. pick What do you got next?
0: Uh, let's see How can I say, Do I have any comedies On my list? I don't They're all kind of bummers Yeah, um, yeah
1: really? <laughs> I, have, I have at least Two more all comedies right. Oh, no, three actually
0: uh, not a bad year My
1: My number one, it could be
0: argued it's a comedy, but I'll, I'll mm. save that. Um, I'm going to go for one that uh, I saw early in the year, and I really, really loved it. Uh, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, and it's a film called My Salinger Year. Oh! Uh, my okay. Salinger Year is great. Uh, my Salinger Year uh, takes place in the mid-90s, and it's about a young woman who, uh, is, she's an aspiring writer, and in order to sort of advance her career, takes a job in... Um, a literary agency.
2: Yeah.
0: It turns out that this literary agency represents J.D. Salinger and has to go through all of his fan mail, uh, has to uh, make you know, correspond with him. He's trying to stay kind of off the grid. So it's this big, long, complicated process. And J.D. Salinger also insists on things being done. And this office also insists on things being done. It's run by Sigourney Weaver. And she's used to a very old school analog way of doing things. There's no computers in it, even though it's 1995. Uh, Everything has to be done in this very specific fashion. And it's her job to uh, read J.D. Salinger's um, fan mail... And re-correspond it, oh, like kind of write in Salinger's voice back to these people.
1: Oh, okay. So they have to pretend um, they're JD Salinger, and,
0: and they have to be very careful about the wording because they're still thinking that Mark David Chapman thing. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, that, and they even say Mark David Chapman's name out yeah. loud. It's like we we don't want this to happen. This horrified JD Salinger horrifies us. Yeah. We have to be really, really careful. It's your job to answer the fan mail, yeah. and. She's an aspiring writer. She decides to take this as an opportunity to sort of get in J.D. Salinger's head. She's played by an actress named Margaret Qualley. Margaret Qualley is going to be a huge star. Uh, She's already kind of a rising star anyway. Uh, And she's using this opportunity to get in J.D. Salinger's head, but she's never read any J.D. Salinger. Oh, God! (laughs) So it's a little awkward for her. Uh, She's really uh, reluctant to mention it. And there's a lot of this uh, push and pull. Uh, There's a lot of vocational detail that I really appreciate. This idea of getting uncomfortable in a new job and how comfortable can you be with your boss? Can you talk back to your boss and make new suggestions? Or are you still just this neophyte? Meanwhile, when she's not uh, at this job, she's sort of going about New York, hobnobbing with other kids her age and uh, sort of talking literature. And golly, I love movies where people just talk about literature. <laughs> uh, people just sort of, you know, college kids just getting, you know, sitting around and drinking beers and talking about books and how great it is to write and to read and how important literature and the written word is. And you really get the sense that these characters do care deeply about that. And it makes you care deeply about mm. that. Uh it just give, it gives me a warm feeling. It makes me want to read. It makes... Not uh-huh. not not necessarily J.D. Salinger. I've read The Catcher in the Rye. I haven't read any others. I could catch up on more Salinger. Yeah, we wrote a lot more. People don't yeah. always
1: talk about it, but mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And I didn't read The Catcher... I think I waited until the right age to read The Catcher in the Rye because I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. They usually give that to high school kids because Holden Caulfield is young. But the movie was written by... Or the movie. The book was written by an adult. Uh, it's... Mm-hmm. J.D. Salinger had perspective on youth. He was trying to point out that Holden Caulfield isn't, like, a a struggling, angsty hero. He's actually kind of a bastard and is kind of aimless, but there's something very true about that. Uh, We can talk about The Catcher in the Rye all day. Uh, Yeah, this—so it it deals with the details of the job. It deals with the details of talking lit. It deals with— some really interesting details about dealing with a reclusive author like J.D. Salinger. And I think most people, most American readers anyway, have a relationship to J.D. Salinger. So you're also going to be having a little bit of goodwill kind of, uh, kind of carried over into it. Um, and yeah, she, uh, she eventually, the, the main character, uh, she, uh the character's named Joanna, ends up writing a, a memoir called My Salinger Year. uh, yeah, it's, it's not being talked about nearly No,
3: it's enough. actually mostly it's, forgotten. I forgot yeah. this
1: movie came out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually missed it. Um and you hadn't brought it up a little bit so I really wasn't thinking about it when I was trying to like it was just going, do some catching up you going, know? Like, going
0: over the films I saw this one just yeah. kept on standing out and kept on standing out so what the heck this is one of the best films of the year I think nice. you ought to seek out that my Salinger year uh, Mar- Margaret Qualley's great it's light it's funny but it's also very serious the details on the interior of the literary agency like microfiche machines it's like oh I'm <laughs> drooling show me this old this old literary
1: technology it's really really wonderful nice um okay uh well i guess on that note let's talk about um it's impossible to see everything in a timely fashion yeah uh, throughout the year and i think um you know a lot of the picks that we have on our list if you've been paying attention if you've been listening to the show these are films that might have come up multiple times or that we really really raved about them when they came out uh but uh there's at least one or two films on my list that i didn't see when they came out and i tried to make a point to catch up on them before the end of the year i wasn't able to catch up on everything i wanted to catch up on because at some point we'd have to bite the bullet and do this podcast uh, so there's a few films still got around to mm-hmm. but uh, one of the films that i got around to and i'm so glad i did and i think it's a, it's a loose connection here because i do think it's On the surface, it doesn't seem to be going about this, but at the end, it's actually a very potent film about the power of art. Uh Uh-huh. Pig. Oh, I like Pig a lot. Pig rules. (laughs) Uh, Pig. Pig is a film uh, uh, starring Nicolas Cage. And when we're introduced uh, at the beginning of the film to uh, Nicolas Cage, he is living out in the wilderness. It's just him and a truffle pig. He and his pig... Go out into the woods, and this is in like um, I think Washington or Oregon, mm. uh, and they hunt for truffles, and these are like uh, very expensive delicacies in restaurants. And uh, then they sell the truffles, and they sell them to—is uh, it Alex Wolf? It's Alex Wolf. It's <laughs> one of the Wolf kids. They look exactly alike, which is their brothers. Makes mm. sense. Um, Alex Wolf is uh, sort of a, a enterprising restaurateur of some sort, and he's been selling these truffles. Uh, he's the middleman for this, and that's how he's making his money, and he's doing rather, rather well at it, because we see he's like driving a fancy car. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicholas Cage is living out in the woods in a shack, and he seems fine with it. At the beginning of the movie, in the middle of the night, people break in, beat up Nicholas Cage, and steal his pig.
3: Hmm.
1: Nicholas Cage immediately contacts Alex Wolf and goes on a hunt to get his pig back. Why? Because that pig is his only friend. Damn it! It's not because it's making him money; it's because he cares about that pig. He's living in a shack. He's chosen to live yeah. apart from society, and, and
0: over the course of the movie, we'll learn very slowly why.
1: Yeah, this is ends up this. This is the start right here, and I think uh, uh, Michael Sarnosky, who wrote and directed this, and it's their mm-hmm. feature directorial debut. Um, I think he's very canny about this because you are got Nicolas Cage, who is no stranger to genre entertainment. And you've got a setup which is pretty much right out of any Liam Neeson movie or John Wick. There's a version called, of this film... Called Mandy. <laughs> yeah. There's a version of this film oh. that is Nicolas Cage whooping ass
2: to get his pig
1: back. If you ever saw a, a really spectacular uh, action film starring Tony Jaw? Uh, called, depending on where you got it, either Tom Young-gong or The Protector. Uh, he plays a guy who has an elephant. His elephant is abducted,
3: mm-hmm. and he
1: has to like travel to Australia to get his elephant back, and he ends up beating up most of Australia to get his elephant back. The movie kicks ass. That is not what we're here for. Ultimately, what Pig is about is about art and how Nicolas Cage... Is a rare kind of artist who actually made a huge impact before he decided to, for reasons we very understandably come to appreciate, uh, decided to shrink away from the world. A lot of there's like one confrontation which has some violence to it, but most of the confrontations he has with people who in other movies we'd be beating up are about Nicolas Cage confronting them about art. (laughs) Confronting them about what they should be doing with their lives, yeah. about talking to, about using his own—I don't even want to ruin what it is—but even he's using his own ability to connect with people through a very particular medium uh, to blindside them with how powerful hmm. an emotional connection can be. To tell a story about the life that he leads and the lives that other people have forgotten that they lead. <laughs> And basically force them to completely rethink the world around them and the choices that they've made through art. What a the, the, great fucking the, movie! The, the, the art in
0: this case is cooking.
1: Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, sure. Like at first, you're not sure what it is, but you're right. Yeah. I guess it's unimportant. But yeah, he's but, uh, a cook, and, and, and the, he's yeah, such yeah. a good cook; it's the, a superpower. My favorite scene in the movie is, uh, is the it com- restaurant.
0: It's the restaurant scene yeah. where he he meets. Uh, a restaurateur who yeah. uh, has, has opened his own place, and this restaurateur recognizes him because he used to be a nah. sort of big muckety muck in the,
1: well, the cooking world. Like back back when they uh, back when he was had his own restaurant, mm. this guy was just getting started, yeah, uh, and he, so he knew him very briefly. And, but he uh, remembers him,
0: yeah. And and he says he has sort of photographic memory; he never forgets anything. He never and, forgets uh, a
1: meal. Never forgets a meal yeah, he made for and somebody. And
0: and I know that. Uh, some people do have, like, perfect memories, yeah. and that also, like, takes its toll. Not being able to forget things is yeah. not a superpower. It's actually a bit of a curse after a while.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and the the conversation they have where this guy, this wimpy dude, mm-hmm. is trying to, like, laugh everything off and keep it light, and Nicolas Cage is just digging into him deeper and deeper and deeper.
1: Just confronting him about his dreams mm-hmm. and his
0: failings, and ah. Yeah. He's like, you You invented something once. What was it? And he says it immediately. <laughs> like, he remembers what yeah. his
1: dream used to be before yeah. he gave up on it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's such it's so a beautiful good. scene. It's so damn good. Um, yeah, I'm so glad I finally caught up with this. This is one of the best movies of the year. It's one of the better Nicolas Cage performances ever, which is actually saying something. He's an actor who's easy to take for granted nowadays because he does a lot of, like, just a lot of tripe. Yeah, You know, just does a lot of, like, straight-to-video schlock a lot of the time. And some of it's better than others, but he's always giving it his all. Yeah. Um, but it's been a while since he's had, like, I, Mandy's maybe the only other, like, truly great performance he's given in the last five, maybe even ten years. Uh, but um, he's still got it, damn it. He's <laughs> so fucking amazing in this movie. Um, everything about this movie is absolutely wonderful. It's so unexpected. Um, I really hope people see it. And I think it didn't end up on your list?
0: Uh, it, it did not.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I do like it.
0: I yeah. think it's quite good, but no, it didn't end up on my list. What? I don't have anything with pigs in it. Do you know? <clears throat> I? Trying to th- th- come up with some kind of segue. Do you
1: have any foods? Have uh, any films that take place in Oregon or Washington? I,
0: I, I got a dog. And, oh, I like and, dogs. And The Power Thereof. Um, oh, it's The Power
1: of the Dog! Yeah, Jane, yeah that's Jane, a good Jane, thing! Jane
0: Campion's The Power of the Dog is uh, one of the best films of the year. This is a little bit of an awards season gimme. It's on a lot of lists. Uh, because it's good, it's damn so it! It's so good! Uh, Jane Campion wrote and directed this, uh, and it is about... Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch plays a rancher, and he plays a manly rancher. He values masculinity. Uh, he, um... He, uh, early in the movie he goes uh, goes into this uh, hall to have a meal and admires a paper flower and picks it up ah this is such a lovely paper flower some lovely young lady probably made this and when he learns that it was uh, a young man Cody Smith McPhee he puts it down he doesn't like, want to touch it yeah, hard uh, pass distance, distance himself from uh, that's any, any macho kind of, enough for any me any kind of whiff of queerness he just sort of recoils yeah. from and uh which he, is kind of the point that, that that's the theme of the movie and uh <laughs> His brother, played by Jesse Plemons, has just uh, married a widow, played by Kirsten Dunst. Uh, she is not treated entirely too well
1: by Jesse Plemons. He doesn't abuse her, but he doesn't he,
0: tend to her needs.
1: He doesn't. He he's he lo- he loves her and he loves having her around, but he's not present. Yeah, he's, he doesn't he's really a, see he's what, a what she's way, going a lot. through.
0: He, yeah, there's this uh, a whole sub this uh, thing about how he he wants her to play piano for uh, her in-laws, and she doesn't want to do that because she only played piano in, like, movie halls. Mm. Uh, This takes place in the uh, 1920s. And so she just has this sort of embarrassing moment where she just kind of is forced to play and want to do it, and she uh, slowly starts turning to drink while the Benedict Cumberbatch character intimidates her, doesn't abuse her doesn't yeah. steal from her, doesn't harm her, but is floating around and being, generally being a bully. And he also begins developing a relationship with uh, her son, who's played by Cody Smith-McPhee, mm. and uh, sort of the unexpected relationship that forms uh, between Benedict Cumberbatch and Cody Smith-McPhee. Mm. Uh, that's not much happening in terms of plot, but this is everything happening in terms of power dynamics. The way... Um, masculine power holds all of these people in their in this ugly, toxic grip. Uh, it's it's telling that uh, Jane Campion made this. I think if a man made this, they'd be maybe a little bit less reflective on sort of mm. these Old West tropes. They might see it as a little bit bitter or ironic, but also essential. Whereas Jane Campion yeah. sees it as completely inessential and ultimately incredibly harmful. Yeah. Uh, and every scene... Relates this weird kind of shift in power dynamics over the way these characters are trying to very subtly control each other, almost out of spite, but really because there's something deeply flawed within each of their characters. Yeah, uh, Each character has a flaw or something uh, complicated
1: about them, and I appreciate that it doesn't really come down on anyone's side. Yeah, no one no one is like this one perfect person who's mm. doing every perfect thing. Everyone's made bad decisions or is handling things badly or there's something in them that's broken. Yeah. Um I got I felt the same way watching The Power of the Dog that I did like watching something like um I don't know, the Magnificent Ambersons oh. or any other uh, great film about that sort of deconstructs the myth of American greatness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the power of the dog is deconstructing the myth of the incredibly not masculine, macho mm. uh, Western fantasy. Yeah. That this was a place where men were real men and women were real women and horses were real horses. <laughs> uh, this is a story about how. People are flawed and fucked up And they're mean to each other And The idea that That takes a very powerful toll On everybody Even the abuser Uh, And this movie manages to simultaneously be scathing and sympathetic at the same time. Yeah. Even about people, yeah. about characters who normally it's, it's that you would. sympathy, I yeah. think, that really sets this thing apart. You, you said it yourself. Like, I feel like there's this. There, and I feel like a lot of filmmakers would be tempted to let Jesse Plemons off the hook. Like, uh-huh. maybe, maybe he'd be like, oh, he's a little unobservant, but he's a nice guy. It's like, Jane Campion's like, no, he's fucked up all of this too. Everyone's bad here everyone's doing bad things it's a tragedy that is both incredibly easy to see coming and yet impossible to stop Mm. um and it just unfolds like this incredibly it's like a mathematical equation you can't imagine working Mm. uh and when all of a sudden you've solved for x everything comes crashing together and you realize that this has been This is one of those rare movies where everything is incredibly meticulously laid out, and yet Jane Campion... It feels
0: really incidental. It feels natural.
1: (laughs) It doesn't feel like... You know, you're watching a movie, and like there's a scene where like someone just says, Oh, I got this gun for Christmas, and you know that'll be important later. Hmm. Power of the Dog is full of so many of those things that you can't keep track of them anymore, and it's just... A world full of stuff where every single aspect of every character is important, hmm. and it overcomes this idea of dramatic structure, and ultimately just becomes about this incredibly organic, powerful journey. Uh, it's weird that this is not on my list. Oh, this I, is I'm a fantastic mo- that's not on it's a list. It's a fantastic right? movie. Uh, there's a couple of movies that connected with me more, oh, um, right. but uh, this movie is. Impeccable I suspect it's gonna get Like a big Oscars push And I would not be Disappointed at all If it won all of them Because it's mm. really Fucking good Yeah if, if this is the one That gets like Yeah It's always kind of Disheartening when A
0: film No matter how good it is Gets all the yeah. awards steam Because it makes the Conversation way less Interesting It's yeah. like oh well That one was inevitably, inevitably gonna win Yeah It's like I love Nomadland It's like oh but Everybody was
1: talking About Nomadland by the end Yeah Like
0: okay don't want an Oscar It felt like It felt so inevitable Yeah um uh, yeah, glad yeah. it happened, but it still felt inevitable. Yeah, there's
1: a, it's, it's not necessarily great suspense or drama yeah. on it's not, it's not great television, but it is a great film to reward. Yeah, and and it,
0: it's always nice when like something surprises you at, at an awards show. Uh, if the power of the dog just sort of like starts falling into those motions, okay, Jane Campion for best director, snore, mm, yeah. uh, power of the dog for best picture, snore. No, fine, fine, good. Happy, I don't care anymore. Great. Because it's a great film and I really loved it. So uh this go.
1: has actually been a pretty dang good year for westerns.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, again, a genre well, what that everyone are always. Some
0: others, William?
1: Well, it's a genre that a lot of other people say is kind of dead. And here we had two very different westerns from very different filmmakers that are also deconstructing hmm. the myth of the West while building, in this case, brand new, even cooler myths of the West. <laughs> this is the harder they fall. Uh-huh. Uh, a spectacular directorial debut mm. uh, from a director known as The Bullets. Um, uh, d- d- uh, his DJ name. His DJ name is The yeah. Bullets. It, that's what his Twitter. Uh, uh, it's a uh, James Samuel. Mm. Uh, this movie kicks so much ass. I don't even know where to begin. This movie <laughs> is is this. There's there's an alternate universe. I feel in which the virtuosic visual dynamism. Of a filmmaker like Sam Raimi Mm. Wasn't seen as something That only Sam Raimi could do But actually became the house Aesthetic for a whole Generation of filmmakers Where we're not just telling a story We are conveying that story With every single shot choice that we have With every single piece of Production design, with every single character Choice It's not just about conveying the story It's about the act of telling the story And one of the best told stories of the year is "The Harder They Fall," which is a story about uh, mostly real life figures uh, f- from
0: f- fictionalized versions of real yeah, life figures. Like, like
1: much like you know, uh, every single movie you've seen about Billy the Kid is hmm. mostly bullshit. Like it's mostly <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's mostly the sort of iconic legendary. Luca, you want to get off the counter there, buddy? Well, let me let me take care of uh, this. Thank you. He's this, uh, it's at the point now where Luca just wants attention. We've pow- ignored him for too long. The cat over here? Uh, So The Harder They Fall is about a uh, group of uh, almost exclusively characters of color uh, who are uh, living and operating in the West. Many of them are incredibly exciting and unique outlaws uh played by the likes of uh idris elba or regina king who really should be an oscar nominee for this movie she's so damn regina good king is really good yeah um or uh, uh lakeith stanfield plays this incredibly <laughs> got
0: a slimy, really character. slimy
1: evil confident. yeah he just makes my skin crawl i love to hate him so much in this movie um and uh, they're being hunted by another group of outlaws, uh, led by the fantastic Jonathan Majors, but also teaming up with uh, Zazzy Beats, Delroy Lindo. Delroy yeah. Lindo playing a very famous real life lawman from the Old West, and um, it's all about them basically trying to destroy each other. We're getting this giant, larger than life figures from all walks of life, who all have these incredible Wild West superpowers. Basically, there's a sharpshooter. and there's, Yeah, it's, and, and, it's almost like a superhero team. It right? really is. And uh, it is about the iconography of larger-than-life characters and how so many of the the films and stories that have been told using this Wild West iconography, this larger-than-life, people in white hats, people in black hats, mm. uh, do-gooders and do-batters, uh... Operating on these all of these wonderful uh, uh, stages of like train heists and quick draw contests and uh, saloon dances and everything and how that has been dominated by white people for a shocking amount of time.
3: And there were black people
1: there the whole fucking time. And it feels like the harder they fall is attempting to make up for all that lost time in one movie.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's not a shot in this movie is wasted. Every single shot in this movie is here to say, we are here to make the most awesome fucking Western you have ever seen. And here's the fucking thing. They did it. (laughs) This is, I like the Western genre. It's not Whitney's favorite thing. Mm -hmm. This is one of the best Westerns I love this western a lot. I put this in a top ten list. Okay. It's really fucking good. It's, it came very close to being my number one movie of the year. It's
0: so, it's so colorful and energetic. Uh, yeah. Al- although we're dealing with a first-time director here, he knows how to shoot an action sequence. Oh, God, like, yeah. It, he knows how to sort of keep things sort of brisk and bright and clear he knows how to the climactic
1: uh, shootout here is better than any action scene in Spider-Man com- it's amazing
0: communicate a lot Doesn't about character anyone. given just like yeah. a, a good performance or a, you know minimal information because there's a lot of characters in here It's a. Yeah. this could have been a traffic jam and he, he so deftly kind of makes sure we know exactly where everybody is and how they relate to one another uh, very much like Werewolves Within yeah. uh, it's also a, a rather um, exhilarating fulfills an exhilarating need to fill traditional white spaces with black characters yeah uh, it is I feel like there there's a little bit of like Cheryl Dunier's the watermelon woman yeah where it's like very we, much so. we have the myths let's just make the myth yeah let's put uh, let's put these characters in here
1: yeah uh,
0: and um, these stories
1: need to be told one way or another and hmm. it's, there's there's a need for them we have to yeah. do it so yeah
0: so yeah this is this this is very much about uh a black filmmaker yeah. putting these black characters in in a big way mm-hmm. in a place where they've uh, notoriously been excluded from.
1: Yeah. But for me, this is the best action movie of the year. Okay. Uh, it's certainly... There, there's a word... I've used, I've heard used to describe this movie, and I think it, it's perfect. Uh, we talk a lot about minimalist cinema. This is maximalist cinema. Yeah. Everything is as big as it can be. But instead of getting unwieldy and falling over, mm-hmm. it just keeps building and building and building until you just can't help but be impressed. Yeah. Uh, I love this movie to pieces. Do not neglect this movie. It's so yeah, fucking d- good. Definitely
0: see that. Not on my list. Okay. Uh, just n- Not for... And any reason other than just
3: it's hey we got to cut cut it off somewhere. Uh,
0: No, I I really liked it. Um, You know, like you said, western isn't necessarily my genre. That doesn't mean I don't like it when a good one comes along. Yeah,
1: but you don't gravitate towards it. It's not you have the same affection for it. I just talked
0: about the power of the dog, which is very much a western. So Yeah. um, yeah, the the. The big action-packed shootout, um, you know, whenever a big action sequence begins, I just sort of, like, my mind starts fast-forwarding through the movie. It's like, okay, let's <laughs> let's get to it. Yes, that's impressive. But let's get to the important part. That's what happens at the end of the action sequence. So the action is just sort of, I'm waiting. Uh, and uh, that's uh, a flaw of mine, not a flaw of this film. Ah. Uh, what can I segue into? I don't know. Well, um... Let's just go. Let's just take a merry little trip in hell. I want to talk about Julia Ducournau's *Titan*. Hey, that's on my list. Too. Okay, good. <laughs> um, this movie made me feel like I was bruised.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, it, it is a very, uh, very odd picture.
1: That's for sure. That
0: deals with gender's relationship to cars and consumer culture. And masculine spaces that uh, need infiltration, I'll say that. <laughs> uh, it is about the fluidity of gender as seen through the body of a car. And yes, this is the the rather notorious film uh, from Julia i She previously did a movie called Raw. Uh, it's about a young woman who has a plate in her head from a childhood car accident, who uh, is currently working as an exotic dancer who dances on on cars. Uh, one night, uh, and she's you know, constantly being creeped upon by customers, uh, and she is not shy about stabbing them to get them away. Uh, one night, she has what might be a dream or might not, uh, has sex with a car. She climbs—there's this kind of dream sequence where she climbs in the back seat, and wouldn't you know it, over the course of the film, she realizes that she's been impregnated. By a by car. By the car. Yeah. And her body begins to go through these very strange changes. At the same time, we also learn that she's a serial killer. And uh, there's a rather harrowing, very brutally violent sequence at a party where she murders a bunch of people and has to go on the lamb.
1: I love the bit of the party because mm. uh, she, she kills someone and it's clearly like, you know, this really intense emotional killing. Mm. And then she realizes that there's other people here and she keeps having so, to like, oh, another one,
3: witnesses. damn it. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's not afraid uh, to have a sense of humor in this film. And, well. and
0: she goes on the lamb and falls into the care of uh, an older firefighter uh, and she even though he she's made herself to look like his missing son and she's kind of mutilated her face and, and cut mm. her body and wearing a binder and uh and decides to sort of pose as this man's missing son and he it, it's sort of like a, in the Simpsons the Armin Tamzarian thing. It's like yeah. we're just going to pretend that this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of pretending that this young woman. He is, has his he has
1: his doubts initially, yeah. but he's willing. He doesn't care. He's, he's so lonely. To go along with it, he's so yeah. lonely. He just doesn't care. Mm. Um, and meanwhile, he's yeah.
0: been he's addicted to steroids and works in a firehouse. So there's a lot of masculine energy going on in this place where this young woman or now she's like sort of genderless, uh, starts to sort of absorb a lot of that gender energy. We could could go off on all kinds of theories as to what's going on in this movie because there is a lot going on in this movie in terms of violence and body horror and bodily autonomy and gender dynamics and gender fluidity and how gender relates to uh, car culture and firefighter culture, and how the feminine is going to be underneath everything, as is the masculine, and how those things are not necessarily separate. Uh, and you are riveted throughout this very brutal, violent, very
1: strange movie, yeah.
0: where uh, very fantastical things are happening. She's impregnated by a car. Yeah, and you're That's not sure how, all of them. You're not
1: sure for a long time how literally you're supposed to take that. I'm not even entirely sure at the end. How literally I was supposed to take that Um And that's kind of the magic of Tetan Is that it It feels completely unbeholden To narrative convention Mm -hmm. Um You recognize elements of it Genre elements Or or certainly we can tell What's going on In terms of a narrative But It occupies a very different headspace That it wants to explore Without being restricted By expectation Mm -hmm. Um this is a movie that is exploring transformative uh, mentalities, uh, positive and negative. This is um, a movie about uh, defining oneself by relationships or lack thereof. Uh, this is a movie about car fucking. This is a movie <laughs> about this is this is a movie that is covering so much material. One could almost suspect if this were not julia Ducournau, and if it didn't seem so sure-handed and if they hadn't already made raw which is such a potent and thematically rich motion picture mm. that one could almost think that it's just a bunch of stuff that happens <laughs> like it's just they just put a whole bunch of stuff in here but that's like saying that like Eraserhead head is a bunch of stuff that happens like no this is all whether or not it all falls together tidily Hmm. This is all one mind mulling over a topic and coming up with new and exciting and unique ways to visualize it, to challenge that topic and the characters who have made decisions or are coming to decisions about their lives within it. Um, This is a very powerful connection between Vincent Linden, who's amazing in this movie. And um, I think it's Agatha Roussel. Um, Um, Yes Uh plays the lead Um their relationship is unlike any I think I've ever seen in a movie And I buy them hmm. I'm not sure I approve <laughs> But, <laughs> well, I, mean, but I do buy them And I do understand like where they're coming from And how their, how their loneliness How their loneliness is managed manage to fit together hmm. In a way that is incredibly powerful Um There's nothing quite like Titan Uh and um and that's un- worth celebrating. Isn't that's it? worth yeah. celebrating. It's kind of a shame because I feel like this kind of unburdened, um, almost stream of consciousness kind of filmmaking is too rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really stands out when it gets made. And this is a powerful as fuck movie. Um, real fast Because I feel like I've, I've been trying to keep track here How many films right. do you have see, left? I have
0: one, two, three, four, five, six I've, I've done seven So I have six left
1: Okay Well I, th- I think you're a little ahead of me So uh, why don't you do the next right. one too
0: Alright um,
1: Let's see What do I I'm want? A ahead of you. And uh, right. how
0: about another film about cars? How about Drive My Car? Um, oh there you go Drive My Car Oh golly I fell in love with this movie so hard Yeah I know uh, this, you did This is a film by R- Yusuke Hamaguchi uh, Who did uh, Happy Hours A film I saw for the first time Earlier this year And uh, this is about a a theater director and the relationship he has with his wife and the relationship he has with his car. And it's very much about sacred spaces. Uh, His car is a very important place to him because it was a place where he used to have conversations with his wife. Something happens about an hour into this three-hour film, Hmm. or I guess about 45 minutes in, uh, where he and his wife are separated. That's all I'm going to say. And, uh, so for the rest of the film, he uses this space to sort of, uh, a, a sort of like a miniature meditation chamber in this old car. And he listens to a cassette in his car, which is his wife reading, uh, lines to him so he can run line drills while yeah. he drives. Um, he has taken a theater directing job. He's going to be doing a production of, uh, Uncle Vanya where all of the actors speak their own native languages. Uh, and there's going to be super titles above the stage. And uh, there's a lot in the process of auditioning people and finding the relationship. There's just legit theatrical workshopping going on in this yeah. movie. Which, uh, oh golly, just like tick, tick, boom. It's like, ah, oh,
1: <laughs> the, the, the theater bug is, is
0: flaring up again. You're, yes, please. There's nothing more, quite like it, is there? Yeah, make, make more references to Chekhov, please. please <laughs> ah, yes, yes, more, more. Uh, so all of that is just really sublime. Uh, it is about trying to find something genuine through something that's kind of constructed uh but as a uh, a detail that he has to deal with is uh because he's directing this production uh he's not allowed to drive his car there was an incident uh at this theater where a previous director died so he has a driver and now he has to uh deal with this fact that this uh driver this chauffeur has now kind of in- invaded his space mm-hmm.
1: And, very personal uh, space.
0: Yeah, and, which, and it is about how over the course of this film, those two, they don't necessarily form like a warm friendship. They form something of far more intimate, far deeper, where they kind of understand one another and they actually understand that they are sort of in one another's intimate spaces, uh, mm. which is different than a romance and it's different than a friendship. It's just sort of this profound understanding. And this is very much about... This kind of understanding that these people uh, that people do form with one another. Uh, there's a lot of. It's a long film. It's about three hours in length, and there's a lot of time where people just sort of sit and get to know each other and converse and talk and move in and out of each other's personal spaces in this really significant, very moving, very palpable way, uh, until we finally get to the end where uh, some bigger confessions start coming out. Uh, golly what a sublime film <laughs> uh, just what a what a wonderful place to be what a what it, like it's warm and it's intimate and i keep using the word intimate because that's what it is it's about intimacy uh, and it allows you the viewer into those intimate spaces uh, allows you to sort of be a voyeur in here and in a way you become complicit in the story you're part of the film now uh and that's that's no easy feat Mm. uh i really just yeah like like i said i fell in love with this immediately just because it's it's talking my language but it's also a pretty virtuosic filmmaking
1: nice okay well um didn't make my list and it's not because it's not great okay um i think i need to i think i need to see that one again for it to like fully take hold of me okay uh, because there's so many layers to it mm. uh, But uh, I'm glad you put it in there Because it's it's really great um, I'm going to go with uh, My next pick is a film that I think is <sighs> So Drive My Car is like a Three hour emotional In-depth journey yeah. uh, And I can't think of A lot of films that Sort of have a comparable uh, Sort of epic Emotional sweep Mm. Uh, even though it's just about the connection between two folks, uh, except maybe Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar.
0: <laughs> uh, oh my God! What? Okay. Let me describe the opening scene. Of this <laughs> I love that.
1: Whitney. Whitney's description of his opening scene is what got me to watch this one. There were other things I probably should have been watching, like in air quotes. <laughs> but I was like, no, nah, I need to see this you before see. the year is up. So, so it, it,
0: It's it's a, a, a boy, about 10 years old, on a paper route in a small, idyllic Norman Rockwell-like suburb. And the credits yeah. are going by and he's listening to music and having a good time and throwing papers and avoiding dogs. All the usual things you would see in a, a cliched uh, sort of scenario, he drives out to this sun-dappled field and there's a tree and a fence. And there's an owl in the tree. A little little hoot owl sitting on a branch. And he looks up at it, and the owl turns his head towards him, and laser beams fire out of the, la- the
2: owl's <laughs> eyes, scanning his body.
0: <laughs> then the, the owl beeps and the tree opens up into this metallic elevator. He gets inside and goes down into a super villain's lair. Super one of the main characters She's played by Kristen Wiig As is uh, The Barber Star She's Star She's, she's star. star Yeah <laughs> And and she's playing it like You know Kate Blanchett on Overdrive At
1: first I like, thought it was Kate Blanchett <laughs> I thought they got Kate Blanchett To play the villain in this thing That's, But it turns out it's just Kristen Wiig doing An impeccable Kate Blanchett
0: and, and she's got this like Kind of pale makeup And these yeah. weird
1: teeth you know? Yeah This like Very specific like I think she's actually got Kate Blanchett's hair from Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's like very, very <laughs> severe,
0: and somehow this super villain's plot is related to these these two middle aged women who just yeah. want to go on. Their big uh, ambition in life is to go on vacation to Florida.
1: Well, the first they have no ambition really. They've had failed relationships. They work at a department store. The department store has gone out of business. They and, live
0: together. Uh, yeah. Are they lovers? There's, there's, that's there's left a little
1: ambiguous. There's a, definitely. A bit I feel of like their
0: connection. A tiny bit of queerness. There but, is. Uh, I
1: feel like their connection goes beyond that, though. Right. They've got this absolute. They're definitely soulmates. I think. Um... Well, and the same they just way like
0: Wayne and Garth Bill yeah, and Tatton, they're they're yeah.
1: they're inextricably linked they're just completely connected on a deep fundamental level um and the movie does explore how there's a element of queerness to that which I really do like um and they decide to throw caution to the wind and they're gonna go on an adventure and they're gonna go to a place in Florida called Vista del Mar which has been described for them as like a haven for middle-aged people mm. and they end up staying at this fanciful hotel and they run into Uh, Mega hunk Jamie Dornan From the Fifty Shades of Grey movies He was also in Belfast He was in The Fall Really great actor Mm -hmm. actually He was in Wild Mountain Time He was in Wild Mountain Time which is a very underappreciated movie And I will hear no Wild Mountain Time bashing on this podcast Thank you There will be another time we can have this conversation But now (laughs) is not that time You sting me sir. (laughs) Look (laughs) <laughs> I thought my fault The buzz is bad Okay It's all, all right. I can do Is all, right. all I can do Is Anyway uh, um, honey, honey joke I don't know, I don't know. Uh, Anyway Anyway Jamie Dornan is there And he's working With Kristen Wiig And he's working With Kristen Wiig To like Do all this Evil nefarious Murder And um He's only doing it because he's in love with Kristen Wigg, and what he wants is an official relationship. And what he realizes early on is that he's not really happy in this relationship. And so he gets drunk in the bar, and so do Barb and Star, and they end up like hanging out together. And then they have like an epic three way. <laughs> And then afterwards, they're all feeling a little weird about it. But then they all start kind of seeing each other on the sly. And then Barb and Star start sort of finding their own lives and their own interests apart from each other. While Jamie Dornan starts wondering if maybe true love is possible outside of supervillainy. And there's musical numbers. And there's so many silly jokes that are just perfect. There's like perfect cameos by the likes of Andy Garcia. And uh, and uh, a certain and a special cameo at the end, which I will not ruin, but yeah. made my heart a... jump with joy <laughs> at this big reveal yeah. at the end. That is just absolutely perfection.
0: I, I first saw Jamie Dornan as Christian Grey, and those yeah. movies are pretty bad. Uh, yeah, they're 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 not even all that sexy. Um,
1: I think the first one a... is a little bit. I think no, the first one the understands first one... understands like there's that moment where like we're gonna fuck, but we have to you know we it's all the build up we yeah. it's all about setting boundaries and everything like that and i, I think i, I, I think it the... understands that sexual tension really well i think that first movie mm-hmm. is not a good movie but i think it hits yeah in a I, way that i can see why people like it
0: i think the characters are terribly boring they're um, a little they're, and...
1: they're drab i i made it a 100 pages into that book and the only reason i made it that far is cuz i was on a plane <laughs> like I, it's a really badly written <laughs> That's book a really i mean, could not get really through just it just nothing else to do yeah I mean,
0: uh, and I th- yeah I think he was sort of done a disservice by Christian Grey. Yeah, uh, and then I saw him in a movie like Wild Mountain Time, a movie I kind of kind of don't like at all. I love it uh, so much, but I cannot so talk st- about it without so, going to spoilers. So stupid, it's and, so uh, sweet, stupidly
1: sweetly stupid, and um, I can live with that. <laughs> Finally, some concessions are being. It's made It's Like
0: okay, so w- w- is Jamie Dornan doomed to go down the Sam Worthington route, where he never gets sort of like an interesting role, and mm. you know, we just sort of ages out of his like blockbuster era and like yeah. has to start taking more interesting roles later in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, luckily he gets one of the funniest scenes, not only just in this movie, just of the whole year, where he gets to sing.
1: Oh yeah, he's he, got a great musical number. He has number. a great musical number.
0: Seagulls on the beach, won't you hear my prayer? <laughs> he gets, rends his garment and sings <laughs> to the heavens. And golly, he just nails it. He's it great. is great. Yeah. So he, if anything... Barb and Stargo to Vista Del Mar redeemed Jamie Dornan for me, and
1: Belfast is fine too. Belfast is also quite good. <laughs> <bad. laughs> you should see The Fall though; he's really creepy in The Fall. That was the TV show. That was like that was like what got him oh, the Christian Gray oh, thing. Okay, he yeah. was a serial killer in that. It's genuinely terrifying performance, like a really great performance. I that. saw Tarzan's film The Fall, but I've seen very, very different entities. There. Very different entities. Um, but uh, in any case, he's a real breakout here. But this is a sublimely silly comedy mm-hmm. where. The jokes aren't operating the way that we're used to jokes in these broad comedies operating. There aren't a lot of easy uh, point and giggle moments where we're looking at like how pathetic people are or anything you know, yeah. like that. There's actually about hope and how there is actually uh, opportunities for reinvention and adventure later on in life it's about how the world is a very silly place and that's a good thing that's a wonderful thing it's about finding your independence within a relationship which is important and often neglected and it's also got like submarines and people (laughs) flying out of cannons and culotte parachutes and it's adorable it is so damn funny it is so inspired that I think it's one of the best films of the year, and I okay. stand by that. I'm so glad I saw it. It's a delight. It's very, it, it, it takes you off
0: guard. It, it really it, does. It, lo- it looks like it's going to be dumb. and It is, but it's, it's also it's, pretty brilliant. Well, it's the
1: kind of dumb that smart people make. And I yeah, think that's yeah. something that we get. We sometimes lose is the idea that, you know, oh, I want to turn off my brain. Yeah, but I want to make sure my brain is in good hands hmm. before I do that. Right. And when you know that the silly movie with a bunch of silly jokes is being made by people who... Made those jokes because they're smart enough to know that those jokes are funny and not because they're not talented enough or too lazy to come up with smarter jokes is a very different thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, I I love it. The piece is it's a wonderful film. Uh, God, I can't believe I only got three left. What do you, uh, what do you got going on? Um, I want to talk to you about Holler. Oh, Uh, Holler is one of the best films
0: of the year. Uh, Okay, I called it, uh, called it at the time, and I still feel that way. Um, there are, uh, This is like, I'm reminded of Red Rocket, the Mm. Sean Baker film. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, takes place in, uh, Sean Baker likes to take his camera into places where they aren't usually. And we see sort of like drab industrial parks and things that are just not pretty to the eye. And that's, you know, follows people into those places. I feel like Holler is is the better version of that. Where we're sort of following, uh, the main character is... um, uh, teenager. Her name is Ruth. She's played by an actress named Jessica Barden. And she is on the cusp of escape. But she is so impoverished, it seems like it might not be
1: possible. The mm-hmm.
0: idea is she's uh, fallen in with uh, scrap metal scavengers goes around ah, and, i was warned against is, that from when
1: i was such a well, young it's, boy it's, it's
0: pretty dangerous because they have to sort of like you know grift it from wherever they can and this, no, I know. This, you're this pulling sort of,
1: pipes out of buildings and things. Yeah, yeah that kind
0: of thing and it's you know they kind of have to sneak around at night and you know how much you turn in you know, it was going to get you more money than necessarily the person standing next to you so there's a lot of competition in this kind of dying uh area area of industrial ohio and a, what we understand and again this is another example of this and uh, where all of the characters are characters we get to know very, very well. Um, she has uh, an older brother who's sort of looking after her. And she ends up getting an acceptance letter to a college that her brother applied uh, to for her. Mm. And so uh, her, she has a really bad relationship with her mom who's in prison and is uh, trying to get off drugs. And so she is essentially kind of on her own, and hmm. this is very much a story about her trying to figure out where she is in the world. And I think this speaks very true to modern impoverished America. Uh, it's not poverty porn. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't make uh, the suffering of the impoverished into something kind of poetic and beautiful in art. It actually is very practical. It seems to have very practical concerns on its mind. And the idea of staying in this little dying industrial town. And fighting other people for scrap metal, it makes it seem like that is actually a palpable palpable way to make a living. And how uh, the temptation to escape is actually really really difficult. And how leaving like just the few people you know behind is is kind of difficult. But more importantly, it's most difficult for you. You don't know how to deal with this uh, this big change that's going into your into your uh, into your world. Uh, the story is pretty straightforward. I've seen a lot of movies kind of like this. Um, I'm reminded of the film uh, Jesus' Son. Is, uh, there's mm-hmm. a, a sequence in that where uh, they go to sort of s- steal... Uh, like It's like copper wiring out of the walls. Uh, but this one it just has so much more life and texture. And the... Outrage and difficulty is very true. Um, Jessica Barden, uh, the, as the lead character, is really, really great. She is really struggling, but she is also uh, playful and communicative and has, you know, very varied moods and is a real, complete human being. Uh, yeah, and she has fallen into, um, oh, what was the character's name? Hark is the character's name. Mm. Um he, uh, he He's uh, played by an actor from The Walking Dead, and he sort of brings a lot of kind of menace to the movie, but mm. in, in a really sort of appealing human sort of way. Uh, I, I feel like I'm not doing this film justice. I mean, I, I hope just my inclusion on the best films of the year there gets you to sort of pay attention hits, to there it. There hits
1: a point sometimes mm. where it's difficult to sort of – and I didn't see this one, so I wish I could give been more help. But I understand that feeling well, where, like, you feel really strongly about something, but for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you haven't today unlocked exactly yeah. the right way to share with people yeah, how yeah. this made you feel. I,
0: I, guess, um, I, I guess what really got into me was, A, the main character, uh, mm. and the real-life the real choices, and how appealing and real and uh, uh, sort of livable this kind of life is, and how there is a sort of thrill... To living this edgy life, however even if you see that the thrill of this edgy life really is just a dead end. Uh, Patton Oswald has a bit in one of his stand-up routines where he talks about the test of the small town. Uh, he grew up yeah. in a place called Sterling, Virginia, and he believes that uh, if you' were grow- if you grow up in a small town and you are of like an artistic mindset, That the town will be your test. And if you get out, you pass the test. And if you stay, you fail.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, And I feel like that sort of, that idea is sort of floating around in a film like Holler, where she is actually weighing her choices. And she's a teenager. She doesn't have a lot of wisdom to go on. But she's looking at these sort of possibilities in her life and is really kind of tempted to pass the test or... Just sort of settle. Yeah, it's easy to not fight back. Yeah, and and, yeah. It's, and it's not and it wouldn't be seeing it as a selling out for her. But you know, at the same time, there is a lot of danger to this, and she does understand after a while that this isn't a really palpable way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's deeply, deeply emotional, and I really, really loved it.
1: Um, I'm running out of. I, I I'm I'm at, had a point now where I'm like. Hmm. I have so many movies I love, and we're running out <laughs> of space. Like, there's at least, well, I, I realize,
0: I four realized left on my list.
1: So I realized I, I, there's this, there's this, I, as people who follow us on uh, social media or our Patreon might be aware, um, I lost my hard drive. Like, it evaporated, and, um, I'm not gonna be able to get it back. And one of the things that I lost was like a big long list of every single thing that I had seen this last oh, year, so no. I could keep track of it. And I realized as I was doing this, i was like, oh no, I left out this film and everything like that. So I have like one extra now, and I'm trying to debate it at the last second. What can I get rid of at the last minute? Um, but you know what? Um it's such a powerful moment that I just feel like we can't deny it. We can't we have to make sure we give space to Giant Furby (laughs) Declaring Behold The Twilight of Man (laughs) Let the dark harvest begin Uh, The Mitchells versus the Machines Mm -hmm. uh, Is Easily The best animated film of the year Uh, It has not been necessarily A particularly great year for animated films I don't feel like we've I
0: didn't see Encanto
1: That's uh... the one I missed That's the one big one I missed And I hear it's really good Luca is very very sweet I like it fine I don't know if I want to support Like Big Vespa <laughs> You know Like imagine I know everyone's just like Oh it's so sweet They want a scooter And I'm like yeah They use the word Vespa So many times in Luca It's like If if that movie had been about them Wanting a Pepsi we, we, It would be completely insufferable For the product placement For some reason it's fine If it's a Vespa I don't know why Um there are other good animated films this year Flea is very, very good as well but I didn't
0: see Flea, I liked Vivo I'm, I'm the mm-hmm. one person who
1: liked Earwig and the Witch I, I didn't care for it no. I, I can see why you liked it though um,
0: it's, it's odd and I appreciate
1: I, it I go for odd, I like odd a lot But um, The Mitchells versus The Machines Is one of the most Flamboyantly entertaining motion pictures We had this year um, It is a story about a um, White, suburban Middle class family mm. Uh, and their uh, gloriously queer daughter is off to film school, and mm. rather than simply fly there, uh, in one last attempt to bond with the family, the dad rather awkwardly uh, like sells off the plane ticket and says we're going to drive. And uh, by sheer coincidence, this happens to be the weekend uh, that uh, th- this film's version of Apple has released uh, a new operating system that's supposed to, like, delete the old operating system. And the old operating system said that uh, mankind hurts too much, man. They play with your feelings. So they're going to take over the world and uh, unleash an army of robots to destroy us all. And within very, very short order, the only human beings left unkidnapped by their machines are the Mitchells. Hmm. And the Mitchells are dorks. And they have to There's find a... a way to, like, get over their weird shit and save the world from the robot apocalypse. Now, that sounds silly, doesn't it? And it is. It's also really heartwarming and sweet.
0: Well, it it's... Uh, what's really unusual about the Mitchells versus the Machines is uh, th- throughout the film, in dialogue, repeatedly... The Mitchells refer to themselves as being really, really weird, when in fact yeah. they're incredibly ordinary. In many respects, that's, yeah. That, in fact, that's... The weirdest thing
1: about them is their dog.
0: They have a weird-looking a weird looking pug. And, that's and, it. Yeah, that's kind of... So weird-looking that a yeah. machine looks at it and doesn't know what species it
1: is. Like, they're, 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 the little brother is has a lot of social anxiety and is obsessed with dinosaurs. Very normal for a kid. Yeah, they're, they're the, actually yeah. An,
0: an incredibly normal family, but... Uh, but because they still have trouble relating, yeah. it starts to manifest itself as in their minds like something really kind of weird.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's they're they're special. Yeah, they're they're, 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 so they're their ability to be estranged from their loved ones makes them special in
0: a weird it, way. It's not about a weird family on a road trip. That's the Adams family too. Uh, this is <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. this is about an ordinary family who has to overcome this idea that they are abnormal. And learn to bond in a a lot more of a a traditional way.
1: They have to learn to listen to each other. They have to learn to actually respect one another. And over the course of that, just the simple fact of being more present Mm -hmm. with one another and actually uh, trying to care not just about what you're projecting onto others, not trying to read their mind, but actually just... Reading the room and listening to other people And trying to understand where they're coming from You can't take them for granted They're growing as individuals Whether they're kids or adults Um, That becomes so empowering That they're literally flying through the air Beating the shit out of robots With laser swords and shit (laughs) And you buy it Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where it's so sublimely weird That you should be rejecting this Mm -hmm. You should be rejecting how stupid this movie is And there's a couple of plot holes that kind of bug me, I'm not gonna lie, but, like, overall, it happens so organically and with such vim and vigor that it gets away with every weird thing that happens in the movie. Every oddball choice, every strange image, every stupid joke... Everything about it just fits together really, really nicely into so this really wonderful queer coming-of-age story mm-hmm. about family bonding that... I know, I, I, it, it, yeah. I
0: wish it had been queerer. I know, but and the, that's the, the thing. Car- the character reads as queer, uh-huh. and then there's like a single line of dialogue at the end that confirms it. Yeah. I, I wish they had made that explicit throughout.
1: There's no reason um, why they had to. One suspects it's the old, uh, well, we can sell it to foreign markets more exactly. easily if the, if the line that when, makes it when explicit you, is cut yeah, out. When you
0: say foreign markets, you mean homophobic regimes yes exactly
1: that's specifically what i remain there's not Mm -hmm. only one of those but there are yeah um yeah that part sucks but in any case um this is truly sublime animation really wonderfully vibrant alive Mm -hmm. animation um and just really great characters throughout, and yeah, a really they, fun uh, story. I, it's one of the most entertaining motion pictures I saw all
0: year. I I, I really like Katie, the main character. Yeah. Uh, Katie Mitchell. Um, uh, the other characters feel like uh, I mean, like they they feel like off the rack characters from like an episode of Ducktales. They're they're not not terribly unique. Uh, but I appreciate the relationships that formed between them. Like, I believed uh, them. Yeah.
1: Maybe they're not unique, but I believed mm. them. I think that's what counts.
0: Yeah. It's the emotions that are real. But the, real, the most exhilarating thing about the Mitchells versus the machines is the style. Yeah. Uh, it is this th- throwing everything at the wall form of animation where they're cutting in some live action footage and some CGI and some 2D things and... We get to zoom into people's heads and see their thoughts yeah. and different other uh, animation styles. Yeah, they
1: never forget that animation is an incredibly elastic medium. Mm-hmm. And you, it's not like where like you have to physically put a camera somewhere and you have to respect the fact that there's an abject reality to everything. Like, no. No. Everything can be manipulated to any degree possible to tell mm-hmm. your story. And if your story is energetic enough, and the harder they fall, does this in live action as well, you can warp it within an inch of its life as long as you're telling the story well. Yeah. And they do it yeah. beautifully. So I love it a lot. Yeah, Not, not on my list. Okay. Uh, I,
0: I saw it, I, I really loved it when I first saw it, and it's sort of... <sighs> retreated from me a little bit mm-hmm. uh, just maybe If you, you watch, watch if you watch it if again, again but... I
1: think you'll pre- It's one of those things that's easy to take for granted when you're not watching it. If yeah, you watch it again so. And you're just like, "Oh no, that that shit holds up. That's great." All okay. right. Yeah. All right. Um mm-hmm. okay. I have I have 2 left. What okay. do you have? Well, I I
0: have I have 4 left. How so, did you do um, that? I don't know. well like, we had a few uh, All right, well take t- t-
1: go 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 take All two. Right. Take um, two.
0: Well, we'll we'll go from uh, the visual poetry of The Mitchells versus The Machines to poetry uh, in the movie Summertime. God
1: damn it. Uh, Okay, that's my number one. Is it really? (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, good, uh, because this is a damn fine film. Uh, And it's a damn fine film because I live in L.A. I gotta admit, a lot of it is very personal. Um, This is about, uh, it's a day in Los Angeles, and we drift throughout the city in different neighborhoods therein, following different people. Very much like Richard Linklater's Slacker for a new generation. (laughs) Uh, Just as good as Slacker, by the way, in terms of its honesty and its clarity of voice. Oh, yeah. And each one of these uh, characters we follow recites a poem they wrote. They are, that they, the the poets on camera wrote themselves.
1: Yeah, these are, these are, it's a cast of almost, if not entirely exclusively, poets. Mm. Uh, And they've all worked on their characters and they've come up with very poignant. And very alive and exciting, and often very funny. Oh yeah! Uh, yeah. Uh, poems about their experience, and they're oh, all yeah. incredibly genuine and powerful.
0: And uh, a lot of them are about uh, their shitty jobs. Yep. Uh, this is this is very much a millennial film. Uh, you yeah. know, were talking about uh, Tic Tick, Boom earlier. This this is, uh, or uh, I think this would be a good uh, companion piece with Bo Burnham inside. Oh, I agree. because this this is about sort of. Um, contemplating where a certain age bracket is, uh, specifically in Los Angeles here, but uh, in general, on a broader sense, uh, and exploring that through art and poetry. Poetry is a beautiful art form that is kind of poo-pooed as something very uh, hoity-toity and far away and intellectual, when really mm-hmm. it's incredibly immediate yeah. and incredibly uh, important. And I feel like... Yeah.
1: It's weird to me that like this, this movie kind of works within the... Um Operational framework As a musical mm-hmm. There's only one bit in it That could even be Considered a musical number Well there's it's a number, dance number There's in a world, dance number yeah. in it But it's still done to poetry uh, But the most of it Is just people Expressing us through poetry And it's like What do you think music is dude mm-hmm. Like that's it It's very <laughs> much it, It's a musical Without the emphasis on music
0: But it's also uh, Incredibly uh, modern and funny And even sardonic uh, There's my two favorite poems One mm-hmm. is A poem about how satisfying it is to write a bad Yelp review. Uh, It's a poem about writing Yelp reviews and and how 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 that can be feel like really transcendent if you had such a bad experience and somebody just sort of gives you crap at a a retail outlet. You have an outlet,
1: and if you think about it, like Yelp is Mm. a publishing medium. Like you Mm. have a voice, and that voice can actually affect the decisions people make. Uh, And
0: and the other is another workplace uh, where the the (laughs) burger burger joint. that's my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> where this one one poor character just keeps getting given more and more responsibilities right during this big rush and, yeah. oh yeah you get to be manager oh wait this is horrible this is hell <laughs> yeah and they just start ranting at all of the people that's their poem uh and yeah they just sort of drift out by the end of the film they're drifting out into the night and we just get yeah. to see this wonderful sleepy well, uh just blanket of nighttime over Los Angeles. Over the you get course, to feel the texture of everything. Over
1: the course of these films, these often very disparate characters. Sometimes their stories intertwine, sometimes they don't. Uh, but they're all taking place over the course of the same day, and they all have their problems. And then they're all sort of, sort of removing their problems like a like a blanket. And as they talk them out, and as they achieve a form of catharsis. Uh, through the use of poetry they um are able to sort of enjoy their lives a little bit more mm-hmm. not in a way that's gonna like change everything forever but like this is going to be a night they remember um I also love there's this one really wonderfully surreal bit. Where there are these two guys who at the beginning of the movie First thing in the morning uh, They're rapping on a street And they're trying to sell their CDs and nobody gives a shit And by the end of the day They have gone through an entire rags to riches And back again story Where they became like the most popular like entertainers In Los Angeles And then they're bored with it by the end of the day And they're ready to move on to the next phase in their life And that is so charming and feels so true. (laughs) If you're in L.A., like how fast a trend can move here is absolutely incredible. Whitney and I were both born and raised in different parts of L.A., but L.A. A lot of films are made in L.A. Some of them are specifically about L.A. Sometimes it's incidental. Sometimes it's hidden. There aren't a lot. There's some, and we can make a good list of it, but there aren't a lot of truly great Los Angeles movies that aren't just set in Los Angeles, but seem to have a true understanding yeah, of what um, makes this town yeah, the, uh, distinct and, and and real, and not not like this world of dreams, like Mulholland Drive, but like a real place. Yeah,
0: um, this film was directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, who previously did the film Blind Spotting, such a good movie, and Blind Spotting is also excellent. Yeah. Um, that was his, his first feature, and yeah. uh, and he's Mexican. He was born in Mexico City,
3: mm.
0: and moved to the United States when he was twelve, and uh, to Southern California.
3: Yeah,
0: he understands place. He understands uh, that's a, a, another uh, wonderful quality of Blind Spotting
2: is
1: yeah.
0: uh, that that movie's very much about gentrification. Uh, gentrification is just one of the many things going on
1: in summertime. Yeah, summertime is about a uh, lot of different things at yeah. once, and they all get they all mm. they're all handled. Yeah, balance it's, beautiful. it's it's
0: about it's being inside one gigantic brain that yeah. is la and every every yeah. culture and every person they're in kind of coming together it, it understands to the geography
1: the, of la it art, understands yeah. like the places in la mm. that are important to the people who live there they're not necessarily like, the big touristy things they're necessarily the things that even photograph well yeah but they understand that these are the places in la where people are and these are the places in L.A. that people do things that matter or feel like they matter. It understands what it means to walk from one part of L.A. to another, which is no easy treat. <laughs> which is no easy feat. Um, it understands only, only that there's nobody walks in L.A. And it understands that there is this incredibly vivid yet incredibly uh, diverse spirit of L.A. Mm-hmm. A lot of the characters in this movie come from very different cultural backgrounds or or, or what have you, but... There's so many people who are in this town to do so many different things hmm. that it doesn't quite have the cinematic ambition of Nashville, but this feels like L.A.'s Nashville.
2: <laughs> okay. you know, it
1: feels like we're really getting a very thick portrait of a lot really? of people who live here, and it's never going to be complete. It's never going to cover everybody, but it covers so much that I really do love it, and I feel like this is near, if not at the top of my list of L.A. movies right now. I really do okay. love this movie. The is it yeah, yeah. hit me very personally, because, especially during a pandemic, when I can't go out and see these places, I can't <laughs> go out and visit these places, I can't have these experiences, this really just hit me in the heart. So this is my number one of the year. But okay. uh, uh, You still have three more, and I have one I more have I can more. I'll, I'll um, throw in towards the end, I guess.
0: Uh, I guess I'll men- next I'll mention uh, another film that nobody's talking about... Uh, it's called Lucky. And now another film called Lucky made my number one a couple of years was back. It's the one with uh Harry Dean Stanton. This is yet another film called Lucky. There are many films called Lucky. Uh this is the film directed by Natasha Kermani. It was written and stars Brea Grant, who is in a, a pretty fun horror film earlier in the year called After Midnight. Um and this one is about a self help author, it's Brea Grant, and she uh she lives with uh, kind of a, a terse um, husband. One night, a man breaks into their home. Man in a mask. S- slasher villain guy. Yeah. With a knife. Tries to kill them. The husband leaps to his feet and says, okay, let's do this again. Goes downstairs, confronts him, kills the slasher. And she says, okay, well, we got to call the police. They're on their way. I have called the police. They're going to be here. And he says, Why? He's gone, and she turns around, and lo and behold the slasher's gone. Same thing happens the next night. Husband gets up, bored, kills the slasher, and she you know, she's getting injured. This is really happening. like yeah. she's like barely escaping death each time each time this this slasher appears, and he kills her, and she calls the police and just sort of gone. And this is like the the ultimate gaslighting begins happening to her where she is beginning to doubt whether or not she's actually being stalked by this slasher when really she is. And it's being confirmed by her husband and the cops and uh, he's on camera. This is a real guy who's stalking her and vanishes when he dies, just like in a slasher movie. Yeah, Uh, This isn't about, of course, the mechanics of that. This is about how uh, this kind of condescension is something that uh, she has to deal with every day. She is a self-help author And she's very successful and yet everywhere she goes, people talk down to her and ask her very oversimplified questions about her life and how great it is that she's married and has a home, how lucky she is. Hence the title. She, you're lucky to have all the things you do when really this sort of pervasive force of male condescension personified in the face of a masked slasher is constantly stalking stalking her. Yeah. And, uh, at, at first, yeah, for a long time, you think maybe she's mad or maybe this is some weird alternate reality where, like, rules don't really apply until she meets somebody else that it's happening to. Oh, wow. That this same stalker is, like, stalking two people now. Uh, I feel like uh, Natasha Kermani and Brea Grant, uh, director and writer and star, uh, are really trying to nail in uh, sort of the exper- what it feels like to experience misogyny yeah uh where what it feels like to feel uh to feel casual microaggressions of sexism this time it's writ large because rather than being casual microaggressions it's physical aggression yeah yeah uh and how how the world is makes you feel like a fool when you express concern yeah and how you should just feel lucky and be grateful and there's a lot of that sort of Very modern self-help language peppered throughout this movie about you should be really be grateful for what you have and, you know, take stock of your life and you just be thankful for for how lucky you are. And when really she can't do that because she's being stalked and perhaps going to be killed. And there is a denouement where we learned the identity of this thing that's been stalking her. And it's satisfying. And yes, it's very satisfying. Nice. It's, well, it's, I, and, it, and it's a little surreal. I'm bummed out um, that I
1: missed this one because you, you I, fr- I, actually forgot about this. It came out like pretty early in the year. Yeah, this came out. Yeah. Um,
0: it, it played on. It opened in, on uh, Shutter. Yeah, uh, it was another one that opened on Shutter. I just uh, missed it. I, I and,
1: meant to watch it. and I missed it, uh, and I'm bummed out because you made it sound so good then, and I think yeah, I just, it just it's, slipped it's, my mind. It's about an effective to catch up, slasher. Yeah. It's really kind of scary and surreal. Yeah,
0: and the, yeah, and there's like a pointed commentary behind it. So uh, yeah, I really nice. want to recommend Lucky. Uh,
1: it's still on Shutter.
0: Go ahead, see that
1: one. Nice. Uh, I have two others. You have two others. I have one more. Why don't you give one more, and uh, then I'll give my next one. Right. You can finish this off. Uh,
0: well, there's no segue here. Um, my next one is going to be Simon Lang's Days. Ah, uh, Ming Lang made another film. Yeah, Simon Lang is uh, a Taiwanese director, one of the best. Uh, made Rebels of the Neon God. Made Goodbye Dragon Inn. Uh, this was the year that was. I was sort of like went sort of both feet into ming Lang uh thanks hmm. to uh, another podcast I do with uh, B Peterson, where uh, she and I have been watching things on Ovid a lot, and uh, Ovid is the streaming service, and we had a whole uh, whole to do with ming Lang where we watched a bunch of chim ming Lang films ming Lang likes uh damp interiors, quiet moments and Very, very, very long sustained shots. Mm. The first shot of Days is the main character uh, sitting in a chair watching rain fall outside. We hear the sound of the rain and we see him in the chair and he looks at the rain and he sits there. The shot lasts five straight minutes Mm. without any change in angle, without any dialogue, without any music. That sounds like something you'd like. There is a shot later on where we get to see another character, uh, another young man. Uh, oh, the, uh, the man in the chair is, uh, uh, he, the character is not named, but he's played by Li Sheng, who's in a lot of Timing Lang movies. Uh, and the other character uh, in, the, in the script is named as Nan, is played by an actor named Anong uh, Huang Huang Sui, hmm. probably got that completely wrong. Uh, apologies. Uh, and he is seen uh, preparing a meal, he prepares some vegetables, uh, kind of in real time. That's another sequence that takes like six, seven minutes. Mm. These two men will eventually meet in a hotel room and they will have a sexual encounter. Uh, A professional one. Uh, It starts as a full body massage. Then it becomes far more intimate. Then it becomes a little bit sexual. Then it becomes aggressively sexual. uh, And afterwards, they have a meal Mm. and they separate. Before separating though... uh, one of them has given the other a small music box the the these long segments where not a lot is happening of course is accentuating a disconnect a kind of loneliness that we feel we live in these spaces and we just sort of sit there for a long time there's a shot in this movie of someone sleeping in a bed probably really asleep okay <laughs> Uh, just people single, do that. Single, single, static shot of somebody in it's bed. It's a thing. And people do that sometimes. When people talk, we don't hear them. Uh, they have th- these two that characters have a, have a meal together. It's fr- <laughs> shot from across the street. We kind of see them in the middle in this like shop okay. window. Well, there's think, you, you
1: need to you need to clarify why this is riveting because mm. there's definitely somebody who can listen to this and go, why is that riveting? Because mm. to, why is that riveting? Uh not because, because that's because of the novelty because obviously people the, the, don't well, so no, it's, not, it's
0: about. not just the novelty there the, yeah. this is lowering you into an emotional state okay this is putting you in a place where you get to feel a kind of quiet isolation so when these characters do connect it feels divinely profound
1: yeah that's something i think a lot of people uh I, I haven't seen this one unfortunately but i'm familiar with your uh with slow cinema and um and I think that's something that's really important for people to understand about movies that feel like they're slow. Uh, we're, we're designed, not designed, we're, uh, we're, we're trained. Intended, yeah. We're trained okay. uh, by media that we consume, whether it's the fast pace of social media or uh, the one-minute uh, uh, limitations of something like TikTok or even uh, the sort of, hey, pay attention, everybody, click like mm-hmm. and subscribe on YouTube. Or even just, hey, there's a superhero movie, new jokes are going to be flying by every moment, ah! To get people to experience life at a different pace is not as easy as it should be. Mm -hmm. And when in cinema, when they're trying to slow you down, it's not time to reject it because it is boring. It's time to take the movie's advice. Yeah. And just say, okay, it's sort of like we were talking about earlier. It's like the nineties and I don't have a cell phone. What do I do when I'm just sitting here? Mm. I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna deal with that. And that can be incredibly powerful when done right. Yeah. And it sounds like this is done right.
0: This is done right. Um because this
1: is ultimately a film about
0: connection. Yeah. And we're going to take the time that needs mm. to uh highlight not just the sort of the loneliness. Making sure, making us know that the uh, the connection is all that more important. But the pain that comes with that loneliness and how that pain can be relieved by a rare, constructed physical encounter—it's a professional encounter. The the, the, one man was hired to be with the other, but at the same time, there is something incredibly important about that touch in this in this world where these these men are, are. profoundly alone Mm -hmm. that intimacy is now everything for them yeah and it's everything for us golly good golly!
1: yeah it's exhilarating to watch you know uh in some respects you and i are very different people (laughs) Uh, i think if you listen to this uh to this list you can tell like we've got some overlap yeah and uh, certainly, the things that you you're celebrating that didn't quite make my list are things that I deeply respect and appreciate. And if the list were a little different, or maybe we're doing this on a different day, they'd be on my list. Um, but you know, that's your that's the second to last pick. Yeah. Right. That's like. It's
0: like my it's no, your, number two. Of it's your
1: unofficially yeah. your number two, right? Film of the year. Uh, mine was Summertime. That's my number one film. But uh, for my number two, and this is like these were the two films mm. that I was debating. To be my number one.
0: Well, well, you you put on, you know, Venom 2 on your list. Yeah, I so I, I, I,
1: I can appreciate... Uh, I can find things to appreciate about the mainstream or the esoteric. Hmm. But regardless, you know, the films that, like, you were clearly, like, sort of lingering on and wanted to save to talk about last... Uh, this incredibly contemplative and slow and powerful yeah. and intimate uh, motion pictures. And, uh, you know, Summertime is... An intimate film But it's you know It's a big oh, I, I sweeping I is, Yeah Psycho Gorman.
0: Oh I thought you were Going to say Malignant No I like Malignant a lot <laughs> Psycho they, That's a Psycho good Psycho
1: double Gorman feature great, Malignant then. and Psycho Goreman But no it's Psycho Goreman. Um Psycho Gorman is so fun Psycho Goreman is sublime yeah. You know we've talked a bit About uh, a film that we both Really really love uh, Is uh, Captain Underpants Oh yeah Captain Underpants, and I've said this before, feels like the closest we're ever going to get to a Calvin and Hobbes movie.
2: <laughs> In a way, Because, yeah,
1: like, yeah. just because of, like, the design of the characters and the attitude towards childhood and childhood imagination and how that's kind of uh, raucous and uh, renegade, but it's also very sweet and charming. Um, Psycho Gorman is probably the closest we're going to get to a film made by Calvin, <laughs> where it's just about imagination, and also absolute destruction and chaos. There's a scene in this movie where a young girl named Mimi, who has... It's a psychopath. <laughs> who's, who is who is who is a very, very powerful young individual. Hmm. Um, over the course of the film, she has accidentally uh, stumbled across uh, an amulet that gives her absolute power, over basically Cthulhu, like he's basically the most powerful a, evil god in the universe. He's
0: a he's a char- he's a member of Guar. Like he's got no. sort of a heavy metal.
1: Quality. Every so. single it's wonderfully well designed. It's it's low budget and you can tell, but they put the money where the money needed to go, which is in like the character design. So there's a bunch of like really fun different monster effects throughout this entire thing. But uh, Mimi has the power to control Satan, hmm. and there's a bit. Towards the end, where the entire thing is going to come down to basically good versus evil playing a game of Kelvin Ball. <laughs> a game I, I with, forgot the name of the game. I also forget like, the name uh, of the game offhand. It, it, I was trying it, to look it up. It's a game
0: they make up as like a. Yeah, and
1: the, the rules make no sense whatsoever, and only Mimi knows them. Um, there's a scene where where this young girl, and she's like maybe, what, nine? Yeah, she's pretty young. You ever She's dealt with murder mayhem the rea- the knowledge that organized religion is itself a form of oppression that rivals what we know of as genuine evil mm-hmm. uh the idea that genuine evil is also kind of human and also gloriously queer um and um there's a bit where before I, everything goes down I, she uh cannot, funky boys. <laughs> or do i <laughs> <laughs> been quoting that all year um it's a bit where she, like, prays. She's got, like, a crucifix on the wall. And um, she says, God, I need your advice. Hmm. A huge battle between evil and worse evil is about to go down, and I have a very big decision to make. Which shades should I wear? <laughs> Trick question. I know I'm going to wear the zebra ones. Why am I even talking to you? There's a new god in town, and his name is Psycho Gorman, and he's coming for you, buddy. This is a, this is a story about a, a young girl who is living in... I, I don't even know how to describe this. I, I, imagine all of the movies you've ever seen about young boys who get the freedom to do where the fuck they want. They get to be the Goonies. They get to be the monster squad. They get to be all kinds of, and it's basically all of these opportunities that have not necessarily been afforded to young women. And she is the pent up rage about all of that. And she's going to take every opportunity with all of these godlike hell powers to fuck shit up for her own amusement. And seeing her do it is somehow weirdly, it's evil, but it's also empowering and glorious.
0: I'm reminded of this main character, Mimi. Yeah. I I was reminded very much of uh, other kid films that I very much like are other kid properties where the main characters are essentially evil kids or just weirdos who are into death. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded of uh, Lydia Dietz. I'm reminded of Invader Zim, the character. Uh, I'm reminded of of that ghoulish little girl from The Box Trolls. Yeah. These, um, I think this enthused... Uh, grim fascination with death and destruction mm-hmm. is a very real part of the child psyche.
1: Uh, a lot of kids, yeah, and, in particular, and a, yeah. Lo- and a movie like Psycho Gorman understands and celebrates that. Yeah, I think, that, and I think that's something people don't understand about it. I know some people love this movie like we do, and mm. other people kind of reject it and don't really. See the appeal, and for me, it's that I was a weird, creepy kid who was obsessed with monsters and shit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Mimi is maybe the worst case scenario of that, but she's also the one who is perhaps more confident in herself than any of that. Mm. And I see her as this sort of unbridled, maybe not healthy, but this unbridled childhood id that we just don't get to see, especially come from young women characters. Mm. Um, There's something that's incredibly Uh, uh, liberating about a character like Mimi, who is just free to destroy, uh, and the way that so many others have, but haven't necessarily uh, been taken to task for it. And I love her for that. Um, I love Psycho Gorman. What a funny character! (laughs) An all powerful hell god who, by being forced to hang around with children, is still an all-powerful hell god who wants to destroy the world, but now there's, like, two people, maybe he won't. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. he, because he's learned to like a couple of people. Um, but at the, at the same time, he's still a vicious
0: bastard. He's evil! Uh, he's very yeah, evil! Well, wants to murder all these people, and there's, the, yeah. like, a, another uh, success of the... Well, first of all, there's this poor child. He turns into a brain. Uh, <laughs> a giant brain! He turns a, a child into, like, a gigantic brain with a big eyeball on the front. Very Frank Um And, uh, it's not just that attitude, though. This has a very sort of low-budget can-do spirit that mm-hmm. I just adore. Yeah. Uh, the creature design in this movie is great.
1: So inventive. Uh, so creative. Psycho
0: Gorman himself is, is you know, functional, but yeah. you know, an actor actually has to be in that, so they have to mm-hmm. sort of make that a little bit more movable. But yeah, they're, they're they're, also, yeah, you got to get a lot
1: of emotion out of that yeah, character. There's yeah. also,
0: like, a, a robot angel character that's sort of the villain. It looks cool. Uh, there's, yeah, this, like... Yeah.
1: Uh, one that's just literally Like a uh, keg Full of body a, parts a and, vat
0: Of human entrails Yeah I, I learned after that's that That's a person
1: That's a yeah, character it's,
0: it's a vat of human entrails with that like has Robotic arms and legs And can spray you With like gore uh, I learned later That uh, That vat Was voiced by One of the Red Letter Media guys Nice A guy named Rich Evans
1: Well I'm uh, jealous of that
0: Yeah so <laughs> I that was pretty fun No
1: no I, This movie has Just crawled into my brain And made it mm. home here Um you know, like some people like judge like the significance or not significance the uh, the lasting power of a film by how much it gets referenced or quoted. Huh. Like, oh, we 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 quote The Princess Bride all the time. We quote The Wizard of Oz all the time. We're constantly remembering it and referencing it. And whether it's in media or just at home, it's part of our lives. It's part of our lexicon. It's part of our vocabulary now. Uh, Psycho Goreman is (laughs) Within one year It is definitely part of my vocabulary I love this movie to pieces Uh, It is a movie for strange kids And adults who remember being strange kids (laughs) And I love it to pieces And I hope this Ringing endorsement Where I came this close to making it my number one of the year But I couldn't quite do it (laughs) I I, I couldn't quite Summertime was a little little too profound for me A little bit more important I don't know about important but profound I think it's maybe a little bit more profound But anyway Um this movie is *The Light*. It's one of my favorite things. So, yeah. Okay. What's your number one of the year?
0: Uh, my number one of the year, and this this was kind of kind of an easy one for me. Actually, oh. the number one was an easy one to pick. Uh, it is the final film by Nobuhiko Obayashi. Ah. It is *Labyrinth of Cinema*. Uh, what's *Labyrinth of Cinema*, Whitney? Well, <laughs> it's the film nobody's talking about, and it's the best film of the year. Um, *Labyrinth of Cinema*. Uh, Very directly confronts something that's always kind of concerned me about film, especially war film and violence in film, and how depicting war and violence in movies is, over the course of generations, calcifying and turning into something incredibly unhealthy in the national consciousness, uh, in this case of Japan. Uh, And yet it's told... As if it's had, like, way too much jolt cola. Uh, <laughs> use the word maximalist. I think that's appropriate for this film as well. Uh, this is a three-hour film by the same guy who did that the 1977 cult film House, and he has lost none of his verve. Uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi has passed away. This was his last film that he was working on. He was working on this while he was undergoing treatments uh, and had a lot to say about cinema's legacy. Uh, it takes place in... Uh, a small theater in Hiroshima, and it's uh, going to be in this little tiny movie house that's having its last uh, its last days. It's about to close down.
2: Mm.
0: and it's going to show a festival of Japanese war films. and people gather in and they're just sort of sitting back and enjoying the nostalgia of these old Japanese war pictures. And the four main characters, very much like in the film Last Action Hero, get sucked into the screen and begin reliving these uh, Japanese mm. war films. And as they sort of run around and they give themselves like sort of missions, there's this uh, young girl, who's so like sort of like the figure that they have to rescue, that this sort of is driving them through all of these movies. As they pass from film to film, they give criticism of them. Hmm. They're not critics. They're not sort of sitting down and having profound conversations. In fact, they're like screaming and joking and you know making all, all kinds of like uh, inappropriate comments as they go throughout. <laughs> But they also are coming to some pretty profound conclusions about the way of war films function in society and how a nation will use its cinema as a way to advertise what it thinks its national character ought to be. Yeah. Uh, in a, in a very, feel, excuse me, Hegelian sense, the zeit- <laughs> zeitgeist of the nation's soul is captured in its cinema. And Nobuhiko Obayashi, not only, ag- uh, he agrees that that is happening. And he also says that we've been wielding it incredibly irresponsibly right. by trying to use these films to, advocate for war and atrocities and uh, hide things that are actually really, really dark about it. And if you look back at war pictures made by any given nation during wartime, they're going to talk themselves up, aren't they? They're they're not going to be giving this sort of profound view as to what war does to the world. It's not using cinema to... Avoid war. In fact, it's cinema is actually this really dark tool that's been insidiously being pushed forth in the subconscious to make sure war continues. Ultimately, it's a film about pacifism, and Mm. uh, that is incredibly rare, and I think incredibly important, when we see a film that actually advocates for the opposite of war, peace and creation, and addressing the things that uh, are in the human soul that cause
1: that to continue. Speaking of which, Luca, get off the camera, (laughs) buddy. Come on, now. Mm. You're so cute.
0: Like, yes. Again, but I don't want this to, this to sound like a dry treatise. Um, another film that came out in, uh, came out two years ago is called A Hidden Life. It's a Terrence mm-hmm. Malick film, yeah, which was about a, a, a German soldier who was an objector to the war. It's, it's, on it's one of the rare grounds. war films yeah. that
1: actually feels like an anti-war it's, it's film. Like, de- it's very, it's very, soul, very yeah. pointedly,
0: deliberately an anti-war film. Yeah. And Labyrinth of Cinema is an anti-war film, and it's doesn't fall into that trap of showing combat and having it look exciting. Yeah. It takes place in this weird cartoony universe because it's Nobuhiko Obayashi, the guy who did House. So uh, there's constantly text on the screen. The borders change, you know, color timing changes. The special effects are super fucking cheap. Like it's (laughs) like this really cheap chroma key keying in where all these characters are sort of like floating in this weird space behind them. And there's all these really bizarre notes as well. These weird comedic things a lot of the film is being narrated from a spaceship where Good. there's fish floating through the air and there's these kind of like godlike aliens commenting on the action of people commenting in the action so there's all these weird layers of interplaying narratives this is just a gigantic ambitious piece of work that has something very important to say and is exhilarating for having said it uh that this is the final film of uh Uh, relatively obscure here in the United States, but a Japanese master, I think is also worth looking at. He finally put a big, like a a big bow on his filmography. Uh, So please, 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 please seek out Labyrinth of Cinema. This is one that needs to be talked about more. This is one that needs to be in the conversation when we talk about war films and the kinds of function war films have uh, in the artistic firmament.
1: Nice. Um, Okay, well, listen, I didn't see it, so I can't really contribute to that one. <laughs> well,
0: damn it. Well,
1: I'm sorry. I actually tried, and then I wasn't able to catch it okay. because it was in such a limited release. But yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, is let, it.
0: Let me, let me look up. Let me see where uh, where it could be playing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I want to make sure people can check it out. Um, so that is it for our, our, our top 13 lists. However, we both have, I'm sure, quite a few runners up. Oh, we want to at I least yes. briefly mention. Um, I'll start since you just uh, had the, right. the floor for a little bit. Uh, Whitney already said it, but Malignant is one of the most decadently playful movies <laughs> of the year. You know where it's going pretty early on. You have no idea what it's going to do to get there. Um, um,
0: Labyrinth of Cinema is on Mubi.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's available. It's a wonderful service. Please check that out. Um, Legnant like is a film by James Wan that starts off feeling kind of like a giallo, but then gradually transforms into different genres over the course of it. And is one of the most bravura, weird horror masterworks to come out of a studio system in a while. It came very close to my favorite uh, best of the year list. Uh, th- the latest film from Celine Sciamma. Oh, I didn't see this one. Oh, this is yeah. so good. Uh, she she Petit directed. Roman, yeah. uh, she directed uh, Portrait of a Lady on, on Fire, Fire, which is one of the best films of the last decade. And her follow up is like this barely feature length. It's like seventy minutes uh, film about a little girl who's mourning her grandmother, and her mother and her father take her to like this house where her mother grew up. And uh, she starts uh, playing in the backyard with a mysterious little girl. I will not explain where it goes from there because there's not a lot of plot to this movie. Mm -hmm. Suffice it to say that this is an absolutely magical little Twilight Zone of a movie. Uh, And it's really astute and very, very powerful and very subtle. And I really do admire it a lot. I hope people see it because it's so slight. Mm -hmm. It's hard to necessarily work up a fervor about it. But it's amazing cinema. I hope people see it. Uh, The Power of the Dog, we already talked about. Amazing motion picture. Um, Don't need to really go into detail about it, but Spider-Man No Way Home was very satisfying to me. It's a Spider-Man fan. Uh, I'll throw it in there. It's it's, Uh, it's your your list. It is. And yet, I still have to have that tone, don't I? Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom is really excellent. Speaking of uh, Andrew Mm -hmm. Garfield, Uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth is one of the better Shakespeare adaptations we've had in a while. Yeah, good one. Excellent motion picture. Uh, my favorite prequel of the year was to a movie which I didn't even like that much, but the prequel is fantastic. Army of Thieves.
0: Army of Thieves is a blast. Is
1: a really entertaining heist thriller with a really, really great cast, fun direction, expertly edited, like it just moves like a freight train, um... I had a wonderful time watching it. It was one of the most entertaining films I saw this year, and I hope people don't overlook it as like this weird like cousin of Army of the Dead, which made a bigger splash. Uh Benedetta, Paul Verhoeven's mm-hmm. new uh uh film, is uh really quite poignant, and I think it's just was a really good year, and that's the only reason it's not on my top list. Uh Drive My Car is Excellent. I was imp- I was surprisingly moved uh by the Tom Hanks sci-fi movie Finch. Okay. <laughs> uh, it reminded me in a weird way of uh, you know my, my dad's last few weeks okay. uh, on this earth uh, and uh, the way that uh, Tom Hanks is trying to leave behind a robot that will continue to take care of the one dog that he cares about in the apocalypse is uh, very poignant and I appreciated that the movie never really gave in to... Uh, the temptation to turn into a genre flick and was always just a really great character story. Um, The Green Knight is very stylish and cool. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I was not a fan. <laughs> I liked it more than you yeah. but I liked it a lot. Um, Identifying Features is a movie that I think I give yeah. a positive review, but it really grew on me over time. It's a really poignant, um, mm-hmm film about a woman uh, living in Mexico whose son goes to cross the border and then when he goes missing years later she decides to try to initially see if like this body they find might be your son and when it turns out it's not she tries to solve the mystery um, very very excellent movie very powerful ending uh, the novice is a great uh, uh, directorial debut but it's got a great uh, lead performance by Isabel Furman uh, as a woman who's uh, in college and obsessed with joining a rowing team. Um, it plays a little bit like Whiplash, but it's its own entity as well, and it's very, very excellent. Uh, Passing is a very well-produced pro, uh, and uh, directed and acted motion picture. Mm. Um, definitely worth a watch. Spencer is very, very good. I wasn't expecting it to be a haunted house story. <laughs> I'm glad it is. Um, yeah.
0: think, think of it as a horror movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I Really. speaking of horror movies, uh, a horror movie that got really overlooked this year, and it kind of bums me out. Uh, there's some, it's called There's Someone Inside Your House. Oh, uh, which right. is a very sharp, well written, excellently acted ensemble uh, slasher about someone who is using the internet to uncover everyone in high school's secrets, and then using one of those three um, uh, D printers to kill them while wearing their face to force oh, them geez. to confront them. Super creepy. Oh, actually. Of fun. Right. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. It's it's very well written. It's it's got a great young cast. I'm, I really do think it deserved a better. Uh, 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 a bigger audience i think i got overlooked. Yeah. Um and then a film that i was i have to admit is dramatically better than its predecessor even though it's still at least an hour too long and the epilogue sucks. But uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League there's a, there's a solid 2 hours of superlative superhero cinema in that film. Okay. Like that's really really amazing shit mm-hmm. in that movie. And it's just too bloated to take the most advantage of it but (laughs) i want to give a lot of credit where credit is due that is a very different film than what we originally got and it is a better film flaws and all
0: i'm i'm interested in that film as sort of uh, an experiment sort of remaking a movie so close um
1: that's it that's uh well there's i could go on but i had to cut out somewhere so there you go Uh,
0: so yeah i i this this was my short list and these are all great films um uh, let's see. Summertime, tick tick boom. Lucky power of the dog. Um, Egi Mufe. This is my desire. Oh, was yeah. a Nigerian film I saw about uh, just sort of the, the the terrible prison of uh, working class life and the inability to escape. Uh, mm. That that was a really really wonderful film. Um, there's a film called Coda, Children, oh, yeah. C- Children of Death Adel- I miss Coda. I heard Coda has, was good. Yeah, it's very, very, you know, warm, weepy Hollywood melodrama, but un- really, really unbelievably effective. I also like Benedetta. Upi uh, where where's Memoria mm. is a, a very quiet, contemplative movie, which I really liked. There's a very strange Swedish film from director Roy Anderson called About Endlessness, mm. uh, which, you know, has that kind of uh, wonderful... Darkly absurd uh, diorama quality. It's sort of like a if Wes Anderson were depressive and Swedish, it would be. uh, Roy Roy Anderson's been
1: around a lot longer that. That is Uh, a hell of an endorsement right there. uh,
0: Just 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 that sequence in Malignant Man, the police station sequence in Malignant. That's one of the most incredible pieces
1: of cinema. cinema, It's it's you've just you 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 have to stand up and cheer even if you're in your apartment. (laughs) What I love about Malignant, I will say this, the, the the day and date release system that Warner Brothers had, I'm I'm mad that it's going away, mm. um, because everyone's like, oh, these movies didn't make money in theaters. Malignant was never going to make money in theaters. No, but everybody Mal- talked about Malignant- it. Malignant is the kind of movie that was going to get hyped up, people would either not see it, because it didn't seem like the movie for them, not realizing that it secretly was, Or they would be disappointed that it's not the movie that they were marketed to and it would have taken years for it to find its audience in home video. Because so many people were able to just click on it and give it a shot so many more people discovered that movie right off the bat, and the cult got started immediately. That's a good thing.
0: Already a cult of Malignant. And And good, because it deserves it. Malignant is is crazy. The story is unbelievably stupid. The twist doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And And James Wan knows
1: what he's doing the entire... None of that is by accident. He knows when it's silly, and he leans into it. More than anything, it's
0: it's Australian, and I I hope (laughs) you understand the compliment I'm paying. It's great. Um, I was very fond of this very nightmarish, very small, intimate horror movie called Caveat. Yeah, you a, liked um, him more but, than yeah, I had, I, yeah. I really like that one about a fellow who's in a vest that's like uh, has a chain on the back, and the chain all goes all the way down to the basement, so he can't go very many places. And he's looking after this young woman who's like in rooms without doors. Like It, yeah. it feels very much like Nightmares I've Had. Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, Lav Diaz has a new film this year. It's called mm-hmm. Genus Pan. Uh,
1: Surprised you're not still watching it.
0: It's actually... <laughs> I think it's a mere two and a half hours which is a, a light jaunt for laf diaz it's like, a short laf, film laf diaz laf diaz has made like is. eight and nine hour films um and uh, this one is the most pessimistic film he's ever made the message is humanity is shit and that's it all right uh cg genus pan humanity is shit
1: <laughs> uh, i was very I want, that, I want to see that you quoted on a, right. on a fucking trailer for it humanity is shit humanity is shit
0: <laughs> cg in pan um, this was a great year for musicals. In addition yeah. to Tick Tick Boom, I was also very fond of In the Heights. Yeah, really good. John M. Chu's movie, yeah. and I also liked Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. I was actually uh, surprised
1: West Side Story didn't make your list. You were really in love with that. Yeah, I really liked West Side Story. Um, yeah, amazing uh, cinematography, fantastic ensemble cast, except for the main guy. Uh,
0: good, good. Yeah, good
1: honestly, music, honestly, uh, if it wasn't for Ansel Elgord, that might have made my list. He's just, oh yeah, it's he's just a, it's too he's much just, of an anchor. He's just, he's just holding it down, man. Everyone else mm. is like on. Everyone else is a ten, and that mm. is best he's a seven
2: yeah, and that's
1: not bad for a lot of things but when everyone else is at a 10 he's hmm. just holding everything back uh i, I saw a film from uh, lesotho the
0: only lesotho and film i've seen called uh, this is not a burial it's a resurrection yeah about uh, sort of the transformative power of grieving and how that links into the dark history of the country you're from um werewolves within barb and star were also on my list mm-hmm. uh i i i do think that uh Wes Anderson is getting better and I loved the French dispatch. His sort of his patience for those little dramas yeah. is just getting sharper.
1: I love I love I love it in pieces. I'm not sure it works together as a cohesive whole, but okay. the pieces are great. Yeah, I I, I yeah.
0: do need to revisit it, but I do like the Mitchell Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, I like the tragedy of Macbeth, I like Inside, I like the Harder They Fall. Um There was a documentary film that came out earlier called A Glitch in the Matrix. uh, You've talked about this a lot, actually. A much much better film than The New Matrix film, because uh, it's a documentary film about people who believe they are living in a simulation, and what that means culturally, and where that sort of impulse comes from. And it's from the same director who did a documentary called The Nightmare, and uh, very much about sort of (coughs) how perspective can uh, completely change the nature of reality. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I like that one. That, that's my Oh, that's for sure. Okay. And then there are others besides. I mean, God knows we both saw a lot of great movies. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. we're uh, really like the new Candyman. Flea is very, very good. Uh, I also liked In the Heights. But... Um, yeah, we gotta cut it off somewhere, and so we're cutting it off there. Um this is a long episode, it's very late. We can cut yeah, it off. We're 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 done, I think. But um thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody for uh joining us on our journey through these films. Uh that journey begins anew next week when we start reviewing new releases from 2022. Uh God, it's so weird that we're here. This is, this is the year, uh, certainly green takes place. That is true. That so, is we have true. a lot to
0: look forward to. Mm. A lot of tasty meals. Mm. Mm. Mm.
1: Uh, anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you want to share your own uh picks for the best films of the year, especially if there's something we overlooked, or you want to defend something that we didn't uh, put on our list, uh, feel free to email us. Our email address is letters at critically once again, that's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. box people who like uh, snail mail. Whitney, what is that?
0: Uh, write us a physical letter, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064.
1: Uh, we also have a Twitter account. We're at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibbiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh and um also uh, real fast because I sometimes forget to do this, I just want to real fast mm. f- to run down our lists all at once for people who just wanted like a quick overview. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. So, j- so just real real fast, here was my top 13. Mm. I'll just end with my number one. Uh was The Amusement Park, Bo Burnham inside, Quo Vadis Aida, Venom Let There Be Carnage, Werewolves Within, Pig, The Harder They Fall, Titan uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, uh, Fear Street, the whole trilogy, The Mitchells versus the Machines, Psycho Gorman, and Summertime. And Whitney, what was your top thirteen?
0: Oh, well, let me look, let me look at my list. You here can do again. it, buddy. Um, let's see: uh, Days, Summertime, Drive My Car, Holler, The Power of the Dog, Titan, Tick Tick Boom, Fear Street, My Salinger Year, uh, Bad Luck, Banging or Looney Porn, The Amusement Park. Lucky And my number one Was Labyrinth of Cinema
1: Alright uh, A lot of those Are currently available In various streaming services Some no. of them aren't yet uh, But uh, Let us know If you have any trouble Tracking anything down Maybe we can help you Find the right streaming service yeah. But uh, also We do recommend The service Justwatch.com uh, yeah, They're very, very very good At the, helping track down Where things are available legally
0: Pretty, pretty Pretty Yeah, uh, yeah. Pretty good about finding yeah. things
1: There's a few streaming services they don't have on there But mostly they're very effective um, anyway, anyway, We'll be back with new movie reviews next week uh, Again, I had Rennet his computer trouble Which is why we didn't have a lot over the holiday But we'll be playing catch up over the next couple of weeks hmm. uh, As I slowly get back up to speed And uh, we get our technology uh, Back up and running So uh, The Iron List is a little late That's coming out soon uh, We'll be back up with Critically Reclaimed this week We've got Mailable Return this week Uh, A lot of cool stuff is on the way. So, um, again, thank you everybody for listening. Have a happy new year. Thank you for joining us. And never forget, everyone's uh, critic. I want to go to the midnight
2: show. I'm sorry, what?